tips on how to force your coworker into submission with a chokehold, listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies that no one else wants to talk about. This is episode 132, and my name is Randy. My name is Jakob. And this is another episode of Uncut Gems Legends. We are joined today by Hillary White and Jack Luke Sharp. How's it going, guys? It's great to have you. Um, I'll go first. I'm doing fine. <laughs> oh, another one once. <laughs> I think Jack I was eating something. <laughs> yeah, I was like, please, hey, please, please. I'm doing brilliant. Thank you very much for having me again. It's a pleasure to be back awesome. for the fourth week in a row, I think. Oh, and it's totally our pleasure. Love having you. All right. Okay, we'll jump into our announcements. And uh, what have we got? We are now, we're not recording in August, but this is the first August episode on our main show. Last week, our with our episode, we concluded our Two Kevins Month, where we were talking about most of the collaborations between Kevin Costner and Kevin's Reynolds. So that wrapped up with a chat on Waterworld. And this month, our August theme, which will be uh, porn adjacent suspense, I guess. We don't really have a catchy name for it I'm yet. I'm going to come. Adult Gust or Porn <laughs> Days of gust. Summer. <laughs> we, don't have, we, don't have a, we don't have a... <laughs> Sorry. We don't wow. have a sound bite yet. But at any rate, <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, we'll come up with a good pun or something for this theme. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to come, <laughs> to, come up, to come up with a good pun. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get a good one anyway. Where's um, my sound bite? I need a hand job. We're not, we're, <laughs> we're not doing this today, <laughs> Jakob. We are, uh, as we have all year, we are starting our month with our Soderbergh project. So um, that's what we're going to be getting into. But before we talk about that in any level of depth, um, just a couple plugs. Head on over to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash uncut gems pod, where for three bucks a month, 450 Canadian, you can get access to a year and a half long catalog of our stuff. And there's lots and lots of stuff there. We've got a complete David Lynch marathon for you to listen to. We have tie-ins to our main show. We have retrospectives. Um, Soderbergh's bitter, uh, bigger and better known films are there um, as we've been doing those all year this year. So those are our shallow cuts. And for instance, Sex, Lies and Videotape, uh, King of the Hill, Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, The Ocean's Films, Che, Contagion. They're all on our Patreon. Go check that out. Um, so now, not I think next week, you will find our Soderbergh uh, shallow cut, which is Magic Mike. So and our tie-in to the Porn Days of Summer, that's going to be Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights. So that is coming out on our Patreon this month. Oh, it is month. coming. It, it is coming. Um, also, towards the end of the month, our John Cassavetes exploration, our Cassavetes Marathon continues, and this month we will be talking about his eighth and one of his more celebrated and better-known films, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. So that is all ahead of us. All right, so if you go over to our Patreon, if you want to just check it out without a commitment, a financial commitment, there's a seven-day trial option there, so you can check out as many episodes you wish for free for seven days. You can give that a try. If you want to leave as a one-time donation, you're welcome to do so. We appreciate uh, all of our subscribers, and we appreciate if anyone wants to give us a one-time uh, donation at ko-fi.com slash uncutgemspod. 
Um, or alternatively, if you want to hold on to your hard-earned cash, totally appreciate that. We just appreciate anyone out there who spends a couple hours listening to us. It's valued. So keep listening, tell your friends, and have fun listening to our show. So today, though, we're going to continue our Steven Soderbergh year-long research. Uh, so, And also, I came across this, didn't realize it, and I don't think we've mentioned it all year, but what we're actually doing, in a way, is celebrating Steven Soderbergh's 60th birthday. He turned 60 back in January. So there's that. So happy birthday to the man himself, Steven Soderbergh. Um, today, we're going to be doing our eighth Soderbergh deep cut episode, and this is his 23rd film, I think. We're going to be talking about Haywire. Mallory. Dad, don't say anything. Give Kenneth the phone. Just be careful. Mallory, I hope you've decided to turn yourself in. You can tell me right now why you sold me out and what you're into with Studer, or you can tell me in 10 minutes when I have my hands around your throat. You need to think for a minute, Mallory. You need to stop pretending you can achieve a desirable outcome in this situation and turn yourself in. Do it for the sake of your father. Surrender now if you want to live. I'm sorry, Mallory, that's not possible. All right, Kenneth. We'll do it your way. She's... She's... She's here. Here? Where? In the house. Track says she's in the house. Right. So, Haywire, directed by the man, Steven Soderbergh, written by Lem Dobbs, um, was released in 2011, start of 12. Um, Stars Gina Carano, Ewan McGregor, Bill Paxton, Channing Tatum, Michael Fassbender, Michael Douglas, Antonio Banderas, Matthew Kasovitz, and Michael Angarano. Everyone and their mother, pretty much. Yeah, there's a lot of names there. So, uh, yeah, so this is Haywire the film, not to be confused with the Canadian 80s band from my home province, Haywire. Amazing. There it is. There it is. Thank you for that. This Haywire is the story of Mallory Kane. That's Carano. She's an operative or an agent for a black ops private security firm. She's on a job in Barcelona as the film begins to find and extract some dude who, who's a whistleblower or a witness of some sort. This job goes fine, but her next job in Dublin, Ireland, uh, goes a little bit south. Her colleagues turn on her and try to kill her, and she learns that the reason for this goes back to the Barcelona job. So she ends up on the run and has to get to the bottom of this betrayal, defend her name, figure out who's on her side and who isn't. And I guess there's a lot of ass kicking and roof hopping that follows. So that's the story. Behind the scenes on this guy, uh, I guess going back to the summer of 2009, Soderbergh was actually working on Moneyball and he was knee deep in that. And he was part of the development process um, on bringing that baseball film to market, but he wanted the film to be funnier, have more humor, have more baseball terminology. And he wanted to bring, of course, baseball players from the 2002 Oakland A's to actually play themselves. And the budget was turning into a 58, $60 million piece. So Columbia was getting nervous of that because it was getting a little too expensive and a little too arty. So Columbia fired him. So suddenly Soderbergh, and this is like the first time I think, as we've covered his career to this point, Soderbergh seemed to have some time on his hands. 
because he wasn't working with Section 8 and he didn't have nearly as many things going on. So as the story goes, he was channel surfing and came across Gina Carano in an MME fight because her background is she's a mixed martial artist um, and she had just suffered her first loss and Soderbergh had come across this fight and then that gave him an idea. So he connected with Lem Dobbs about his script and in the very same month that he was sacked from Moneyball, he began development on Haywire with uh, Dobbs's script and with uh, Gina Carano cast. And I guess at the time Dobbs script was called Knockout. So the project was fairly quickly funded via the Irish Film Board and through pre-sales with Lionsgate, had a modest $23 million budget. Principal photography began the next February in 2010 and the shoot took place mostly in Ireland and it was about a six or seven week shoot. Um, when Before they began, Carano was um, given some directions from Soderbergh. He basically said, for your research, I want you to go watch The Social Network and a few other films. <laughs> and uh, because there's a scene in that, the rowing scene is a particularly inspirational scene. And Soderbergh loves The Social Network. And he wanted to shoot I think, <laughs> a this lot of this. That's why he told us, like, watch Social Network. It's not relevant to what you're going to be doing. I just, <laughs> oh, it's a great... Pay attention watch, to the rowing scenes. <laughs> yes. Social Network. Oh, anyway, so this was supposed to originally be released by the end of 2010 and Lionsgate was not happy with what they had in the can after the shoot at all. Allegedly, Lionsgate wanted a lot more action, but Soderbergh insisted on sticking with the with this as a spy thriller piece um, with these lengthy realism based fisticuffs. That's what Soderbergh called them. Um, but he squabbled with Lionsgate and this this delayed some reshoots that were scheduled and the delays were significant and it was such a long period for these delays that Soderbergh went and shot and edited Contagion in the interim period. Um, so go check out that conversation on Patreon that we had last month. We talked about Contagion and disease control and any one oh, of a number of words that Jude Law could not pronounce hold on. properly. Just, just hold on. I've got one. I just forgot oh. to put it. Hold on. Oh God! <laughs> Sorry. Uh, just um, where where is this? There it is. Just give me a second. The suspense for Scythia. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, any one of a number of words that you lost here, character struggles like, with in contagion. <laughs> so anyway. After the Jude Law experience, Soderbergh Jude comes Log. back. <laughs> Soderbergh returns to Haywire. And Haywire has been sold at this point from Lionsgate to Rel Relativity Media. So it's Relativity Media who ends up uh, financing the reshoots and releasing this. And Soderbergh was happy dealing with them because he felt that he got to do it his way. Um, and also somewhere in there, uh, as part of the post-production, perhaps we'll get into it, Laura San Giacomo was brought in to do the voiceover work for Carano's character. And my understanding is all of it or almost all of it. So the film was released. I think it hit a couple uh, festivals late 2011. It was released in North America in January 2012, which is sort of a period when films get dumped. It was released in North America on a healthy number of screens, some 24, 2,500 screens. So that's a significant release, but it only conjured an $8 million opening weekend. 
and it only made $19 million altogether in North America. Proportionately, it did better in the UK, but overall worldwide, it only made $34 million. Um, so it probably didn't quite break even on its uh, theatrical release, even though my suspicion is there wasn't a whole lot of marketing budget for it. It, it seemed to be, like I say, dumped and uh, f- fairly limited uh, promotionals on it. Critics generally liked it. Audiences didn't. In fact, audiences really didn't. They gave it a cinema score of a D plus. So D now... dickheads. Anyway, I'm, I'm revealing my hand. We're going to get there because now it's our time to do our takedown of this movie. Are you folks with the critics who liked it, the audiences who didn't, or are you with Lionsgate who thought that it should have been more like the Jason Bourne series? Hillary, I'll start with you, but could you also give us a couple thoughts on your thoughts on Soderbergh as a filmmaker, just to sort of survey the room as we've oh. been doing this all year? <laughs> That's true. Like uh, Soderbergh is actually a, is a director I don't feel really strongly about one way or the other, and I think that's part of partly due to the fact that his range is so large. So I think that people who are big fans of his like that sensibility where he wants to keep trying new things, and his films can be wildly wildly different from one another. Sometimes you know from one film to the next. Um, with him, he's pretty hit or miss, but I don't think I've seen a film of his where I've thought that was really shitty. <laughs> he's not a bad filmmaker, um, but I don't have very strong feelings about him, um, just in Fair general. Um, and then, what about Haywire, I guess, um, as far as like, um, well, with Haywire, I think that the reason why I've sustained interest in it so long is mainly for the nature of the fight scenes. I think. I think how he directed the fight scenes and who particularly chose to do these fight scenes and how they were edited and choreographed um, are just are really, really amazing. I don't know if that makes it an amazing film, but that's what keeps making me return to it and show it to other people because they're just so shocked, um, especially because a lot of the fight partners for Carano are really well known. So you see really famous men that whether you like you really like them as actors or you have a crush on them or whatever, you get to see them, you know, get completely decimated. And I like watching people react to that. So, <laughs> Do you like watching Michael Fassbender being shot in the face through a pillow? Um, I think we should get, we'll get into that later. Okay. I, yeah, definitely. It's, okay, it's on your top I don't want to derail things too fast. <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you. Jack, what about yourself? Um, I, I, I think this was one of my first conscious... Steven Soderbergh films that I went to go watch or, or acquired. And I know where I bought this film from. There was a blockbuster sale of Blu-rays. I think I paid £3 for it. It was one of the first Blu-rays I ever bought. Um, obviously, I took it home. I didn't really expect much to think of it because I think it, I think that maybe two, one or two years after its initial release and watched it. And I thought it was fine. Um, I, I'm, again, watching it, um, uh, doing this podcast, uh, highlighted a lot of uh, interesting things especially with the breakdown of what this film how it was created but i think i'm looking looking at it again i quite enjoyed myself here it isn't without fault and there's a few things here that i think primarily are, are the issue with what we'll talk about later with the additional um shooting the the the, the narrative and the plot it's, it's definitely a studio mandating um a born <laughs> identity um with a with a a, a female a lead rather than a, I think more of the sophisticated jazz compeller 
um, Steven Soderbergh film that he wanted to make. So there's definitely interesting ideologies here. Uh, but overall, I really enjoyed it. It's interesting because I think the things that people didn't like it about, namely Gina Carano, I think she's quite good in it. And again, going back to the, the girlfriend experience, there's a similarity there of plucking someone out of what is essentially mm-hmm. the, the wide open sea and putting them in a, in a film and them being incredibly comfortable. I think that is partly due to Soderbergh's talent with talent. Um, um, so it's really interesting to go back and, and, and dissect it. Dissect it. Um, and, and for the most part, just to, 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 to briefly say, I really enjoyed myself here. It was fun. Not again, not without fault, but it was it was it was fun, and and for the, one of the first Soderbergh films, I felt that since Ocean's Eleven, just fun, not no baggage, and and as as Hillary said, there's a Soderbergh thing where it, there's a lot of landscape there, there's a lot of direction going on with with multiple different tones, genres. This felt like fun for the first time since I would probably say maybe the Ocean's trilogy, which. Mm-hmm. Oof, I mean, I've never, I haven't seen Magic Mike yet, so maybe I found that exhilarating. But um, yeah, it was really pleasant to go back and watch it. Yep. Cool, Jakob. Wow, how do I how do how do I follow this up? I've seen this a bunch of times. I don't think I've, I've seen this when this was released because I was effectively shackled at work for a very long for very long days and nights. So I don't. I think I missed it. I I, I watched it a bunch of times i don't know maybe mid mid to to any tens i think i said i don't know how i would call it maybe on netflix or something like this and i was just like wow this is actually pretty good and um i kept coming back to it because it's an insanely easy watch and just to put it in context just for this show i watched it twice so i watched it like last sunday and on friday i just thought to myself do you know what I, I want to watch? I want to watch this again because I gave it like I don't know four stars or whatever. It's just, I feel like I, you know I'm gonna give it another go, and then it was even better. It was even better, and it was so good. I really liked it. Too. It's so easy, and I, when you say like, "Oh, it's fun," like the oceans, like well, Ocean's Thirteen, still playing when I have watched it twice. You know, it's such a lean movie. There's not an ounce of fat on it. It's amazing to say. I mean, it's insanely watchable. Like it's, it, we talked about this um, on the occasion of Contagion. I think it's one of those movies that if it w- if cable was still a thing, right? When it's just you just channel surf and this comes on, you just watch it. You just finish uh, because it's just such a compelling piece. I really enjoyed Gina Carano. I totally agree with this. Of the girlfriend experience sort of comparison. Yeah. He. He, this is the closest for Soderbergh. I, I said this like on the on the last episode. Like this is the closest for him um, to ever like casting someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger and and like and a bona fide athlete, right? Who with very limited acting range and making them look like they're professional actors. Just who also they sent on a boot camp to learn Muay Thai or something like that or Jiu Jitsu, right? But she's, it's fantastic. It's, it's, she does her job very well. He, they don't give her any, anywhere near as much to, to talk like they do with Sasha Gray. So she doesn't have an opportunity to stumble on a monologue, even though I think she, Sasha Gray just came yeah. out fine. <clears throat> but I, I, I do believe that Soderbergh knows how to work with non-professionals. He absolutely knows how to, um, work to his own strengths when he's staging action because I think he like this is something we talked about on the occasion of the Lime and the Lime is going to yep. make an appearance anyway um yep. 
because Lem Dobbs connection, whatever. But I think like Steven Soderbergh has um, doesn't necessarily know how to stage and block action, and I think he knows that he doesn't know how to do this correctly. So he just lets it happen. He would, he just sticks a camera on a tripod and just lets lets the actors just ruin the hotel room, right? <laughs> it's just and maybe he, they, they, he will put a camera on a rail and you will just slide it to a different room. That's it. That's all the work he's doing behind the camera. There's nothing, and, and everything is like these long protracted takes. M- music cuts out for for every time there's action, which will be contrary to what you'd find in a blockbuster. Now, like music will ramp up now just to make sure that like, we need to make sure that these people are having fun. So you know, we need to we need to make this epic. No, he doesn't have to. Like Gina Carano is just king people's asses, and it's just silence in the background. It's fantastic. So. I love this movie. Very slick, very nice, very modern. It's like on my sort of little write-up on Letterbox was basically this is Steven Soderbergh's The Bourne Ultimatum, and I'm gonna stick by it. So that's that's me for the opening uh, gambit. So Randy, how about you tell us how how much you love this? Yeah, well, I love this a lot actually. I saw this shortly after it came out on video, so back in 2012 or 13. Um, I like going back to it every once in a while. It is it is slick like you said it's it's very lean um it's interesting watching it now in the context of having watched everything else from Soderbergh's career up until this point um and you know and doing a little bit of reading around on it so when i when i found out that Soderbergh really liked uh the Ipcrest file it's like ooh i don't even know that so i looked that up and that the Michael Caine film and i watched that and so i feel as as much as this is uh Soderbergh's born film i think it's also his ipcrest file his uh uh J fury film as well because it feels that he's going back to the innovation um from the 90s so when he was trying to figure out how to how to edit and how to go from flashback for an exposition drop and then jump back to the the forefront which he which he was playing around with in the underneath and he did so well and out of sight i feel that energy here using music and using his color coding um to you know differentiate time or location like that's back here so there's there's this fun that i feel that he's having with the tinkering and the experimentation in post-production you know in the sound design and his use of music and it's like it it feels to me a little bit like the out of sight and the limey type of uh, experimentation which I would say maybe we don't see quite as much of in the 2000s because it's more of a, a formalist type of approach where, oh, this is my Casablanca and this is my Solaris, literally. And so, but here it's he's back to tinkering, it feels like. And, you know, th- yeah, this is great. And I find that Gina Carano is is fascinating in this and she's she's an action star. And I would like to echo what, what everyone has said, just sort of about, her presence, like the, the way she kicks butt is really impressive. And the fact that she's <laughs> taking down these Hollywood known Hollywood identities, this could also be seen as a little bit of a stunt casting type of thing, which Soderbergh seems to be, you know, doing not just through Carano, but the fact that she's taking down these male known male leads, that's sort of a fascinating piece. Um, so yeah, I, I really, really, really like this. So I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, this conversation. So what I, feel maybe like starting with is why do you think that audiences didn't catch on to this because you know to me a cinema score of a d plus like that's pretty that's pretty low that's that's hatred almost so it just what's it the feels lowest, what's the lower than d plus f like d is it f? already f yeah 
yeah. D plus D, D minus, and then an F, uh, right? Yeah. But for an action film, usually kind of an action film would land B plus or better, especially one that's, you know, fairly tight and not sort of long and long dragged out this to me and it does feel a little bit like the Bourne series it does have a bit of that vibe so it's it's shocking to me so why don't you why don't you think audiences gravitated towards it i have a theory about this and because i i I was i I knew you were going to bring this up randy because it's always a really interesting Mm -hmm. question because we spoke about this with the informant why it didn't do particularly well here it was and we talked about the um uh, the, the the box office champion of the blockbuster and i thought well 2011 was like you know you've got first minute um, uh, x-men first class you've got rise of the planet you've got starters of big franchises you've got thor that came out so you just get in the mcu i think captain america <laughs> just reminded me of like yeah. leaving the th- cinema and then everyone was laughing about asgardians <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you, you, you've got like the girl with dragon tattoo you've all got mm-hmm. um Franchise starter. So I was going to say, well, are we going to blame the blockbuster? But there's one film Mm -hmm. that came out the same year as Haywire. And I think it's a very similar film in style, aesthetic, simplistic story, but it's crafted by an auteur. And that film is Drive. And I think when you compare the two, I think they're very, very interesting that one is led Mm -hmm. by a woman and one is led by a man. And the man is a... We need st- to get a medic in No, here. no, no, no. Let me finish. Let me finish. <laughs> I think the, the, the drive is labeled as this stoic, atmospheric, intense depiction of internal struggle. Yet when Soderbergh directs a stoic, internal depiction of a woman who is an action star or an action vehicle in that, in that respect as a, as a leading um, actress from an MMA background... I think people labeled Soderbergh as a almost a caricature at one point. I think he again he's just making the exact same commitments as he did to the girlfriend experience and just saying to people, You won't get it now. In five, six, seven, mm-hmm. eight years, you'll come back and you'll 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 consider me a genius. And I do think there's some sort of trepidation here with gender dynamics, because I think Gina Carano, regardless of what what she may or may have not said in in recent history, that I'm not, I'm, I don't, I don't give a shit about that because to me, I don't think it's relevant to this conversation. But it's very interesting. No, it how, is not. It is not relevant one bit. Yeah, it, well, exactly. So leave it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> if, we, if we if we look at the discourse here, I am compelled to think of it if it is an audience issue. However, that I think that is that is a surface level issue. But then when you look at the actual context of things, there is a, a, a wildly different idea behind what this film wants to be and what it is. And I, I really like the film. I th- I'll get, we'll get to the, 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 uh, the ratings towards the end. But I'm very much on Jakob's page. I, I, I read Rekob's review and I sort of can't not agree with anything he said. It's like six words. Come on. Yeah, but 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 well, well, that, that's more positive to me. But I still I still think there's an issue with uh, with an audience with the with a gender dynamic, and I've heard different reports about this voice Five thing. Words. I've heard that she was dubbed. Then I heard. Remember, I, I remember when this film came out. The 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 conversation was that they lowered the tone of her voice in the film to make it deeper. And um, I, I've sort of that sort of died of death now. It's that no, no, she she was re-recorded. But then you read you read um, certain reviews about it, and they absolutely annihilate this woman for having no charisma. <sighs> and again, it's like the double standard of having to have a charismatic lead actress 
for the sake of it, when that goes against, that's like the antithesis of her character. She's stealing this film. She controls every time she walks in the room. The, the, would they say the same thing about Chuck Norris in Invasion USA? No, exactly. They wouldn't, but, oh, this is, but they wouldn't have said the like, same thing about Ryan Gosling no in Drive. They, they don't say the yes. same thing. And yes. that, that's, that's precisely the issue. So I do think there's an audience backlash here. And I do think that that presents an idea. of, And also as well, I don't know if we want to get deep into it, but if you read certain interviews with a certain actor in this film who rhymes with Matum, he makes certain allegations, not allegations, but he makes certain comments towards um, uh, a uh, magazine about not wanting to watch a women-led action film because about not wanting to, if he could beat them on screen or something like that, if not, not like beat them like... I mean, he doesn't like... So Channing Tatum doesn't, according to this whatever I think magazine, it, yes, it, I think he it, doesn't like watching female-led it, action films? This was in 20, no, 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 no. 2011. Yeah, this is what he says. He says he didn't like watching female-led action films because he wanted to watch someone on screen that he would be able to beat up, like that, and he didn't think a woman would be able to do that. And he changed his mind when watching uh, the finished product of Haywire. And... Not, not to mention that in the very opening of the film, she beats his uh, ass. Well, exactly. And, and I th- breaks his arm. And, and, and granted, I, and I, he squeals like a... Yeah. <laughs> and I also think that, you know, that that was almost a decade ago now, and I, I presume his, 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 his opinions have changed, specifically having a daughter, yeah. no doubt. But I think that narrow-mindedness... Oh, he has nothing, nothing against beating women. No, well, well, no, no, not, not that. I don't, <laughs> no, like, I don't, no. I don't mean beating women, Jacob. I mean that... On, on the picture on screen. Jesus so Christ. I do think that that narrow-mindedness is sort of an, an, an essence of its era. I think that is a slight issue of what went into this. But going into the actual final product... It's not an essence of its era, just to say. Like, this thing continues to this day. Of course, but I don't think that yeah. the, to the degree it does. It probably does, like, but not not in, not in, within my world. I think people are far more uh, open and uh, willing to see... Female-led action films. Oh, well, people were no, mad this, about Prey. They said that Prey yeah. wasn't realistic. Yeah, always, like, you'll always um, get those people who are like virtual, yeah. a virtual people who who think that you know the the, the gender dynamic, dynamics of the eighteen nineteen hundreds. I think you're always going to have an issue with that. To the comic book movie sort of now discourse where like oh you know She Hulk this the, yeah you know, Jane, this, Jane this Thor, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, or exactly. So this this hasn't disappeared. It just moved into the like it moved into the fold of the comic book. Yeah, the, jo- the genre has that changed. You just, that you just that you just kind of dis- dismiss just on on the surface, just like oh, this is Snyder cultists again. Yeah, you don't even pay attention, but it's part of it. I mean, there was there was so, another yeah. film that was uh, eerily similar to this, and it was Zoe Saldana was in it. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, it was a yeah, yeah Colombian. It's another film. All right, yeah. it's 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 not it's not a particularly um, outstanding. Sounds like a dad movie. I should probably like it. Yeah. It's it's not a particularly uh, like outstanding like film, but it's Olivia Megatron. You know, it's Luke Besson back yeah. at the time. It was renowned for for crafting female led 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 features. But again, I just think it, it, it's on the surface level. I think that's it. But again, I think when that's the reason why people didn't flock to it. I no doubt. No doubt. The other yeah. Arthur question is why people don't resonate with it. That's it. But the reason why people sort of disenfranchise themselves afterwards is that I think this film has loads of issues internally with what it wants to be, and it just amount just it just about doesn't drown itself in that issue. But that's probably what I would I say think, about going into it. I think you might be on to something in terms of just just in terms of people not responding to this that maybe people just don't groove on the idea of this type of uh, female protagonist. Cause I'm thinking of films like um, point of no return. 
um, Anna, the Besson film recently, like these films, Columbiana is another really good reference. They don't make much money. The only, the only exception to this that I can think of is probably a couple of the Angelina Jolie films who sort of had this sort of very specific image that was tied to her brand and her star you power. You mean the Tomb Raider films? Well, she was, she was also More in so Salt, Salt as well. Salt, 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 like, yeah. was, Salt and what, Wanted. Was Salt and a actually successful? Can we double check this? Salt made $100 million in North America. I can say that. So yeah, it was it was a success. I googled Salt. Guess what I got? <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Well, I mean, I can wait. I can wait a little, a, a little bit on. Yes, this. please. One thing, one thing mm. that's interesting about Channing Tatum. Okay, well, actually, pulling out a little bit more big picture is that we talked about limited marketing things that happened as far as like promoting this film. And yesterday, I kind of looked into what I could find as far as like interviews, information about it, and there wasn't very much. Um, but I did find an, some interviews with Channing Tatum, and when he was being interviewed, the I don't know if like it's he had changed his mind by then or whatever, but he said his main complaint with female action heroes before is he said like they always choose like really really tiny women, like he's just like he's like really really skinny girls like sexualize the women and he didn't like that. That I think that was his, he said that that was his issue and I thought well it could be it could have been interpreted that before he just didn't like seeing female action heroes we don't know but his particular argument was that. He said, I don't think he brought up Salt. I think someone else did. Um, and maybe another interview. I love that. It was on Hooper's, is it Hooper's Bazaar or something. That's what I read it on. I read it the other day. Yeah. Th- th- these interviews I, re- I heard from were um, worked at Comic-Con. And they said, like, do you want more of films with action um, action stars that are women? And he's like, I sure hope so. He's like, I want more. So either... It could have been that he was misinterpreted because he was like really quick to like say like I don't have anything against like really skinny women um, or anything like that. But it may have been that he maybe spoke like things were taken a little out of context. But I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to defend him. I don't know completely, but he seemed pretty gung ho about it afterwards. Um, mm. And he did get his ass kicked. Um, he did. Yeah, More that's what occasion. sold me on the movie was. I think the only thing they did, this was a little bit unusual, probably because they were afraid of people not seeing it, is they put the first five minutes online, and I saw it, and I remember seeing the fight scene between her and Tatum, and this doesn't happen very often, but it was one of those few fight scenes where I was watching it, and I was actually scared. Like, some of the moves that were in it seemed so realistic, like, when he picks her up and throws her on the ground, like, just completely slams her into the floor, you don't see stuff like that very often, there's cuts around it. Or things like that and then it was also intriguing to see how this scenario is unfolding in a public place which i think most people would read as like a domestic abuse situation <laughs> in the beginning yeah is they that still mind their to, own yeah. business as well right no there's they, one they, guy they who goes like oh stop and he just no 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 smashed. well first like michael angarano he tries to pull him off of her which i thought like that's insane but the fact he's doing it he's doing the right thing and then a waitress comes in and also hits him too, yes to make yes him stop. yes yeah. With the hot and I thought, like, well. you don't see that often. But then when I mean, the gun comes out... He started like, it, right? He starts it as well. Tatum? So yes. Tatum does. He does. Tatum he starts. throws coffee he, in her face. Exactly. And then he hits yeah. her in the head again with a ketchup bottle. So people who are around, like, they, they see what's happening and they actually intervene. You don't see that very often either. So it was like, I think it went all the way to the point where, like, they drive off in the car and then it just said haywire. And I thought, yeah, I kind of want to see the rest of this. Because this, if this is the first five minutes, where is it going to go from here? Because it was it's a just fa- frightening. It's a, it's a fascinating hook. 
because it does seem like clearly the film starts and something's up because she's sort of walking in to this diner coming from the woods. So that's a little bit I found, uh, um, suspicious to begin with, but, I, that, but I, then I, it does turn into this. It looks like a normal domestic scene. And then this guy starts beating on this woman. It's fascinating. And then she flips everything around. Sorry. Go ahead. Jack. No, I found, I found the quote. He, he told Collider in 2011, um, quote, my wife always hates when I go, I just don't love female action movies. I don't know why. I just don't go run to see them. I watch them, but I don't go to run to see them. And then I was like, find a girl that I can, bad my French, whoop my ass, and I will go to the movies to watch it. So, mm-hmm. again, so again, it's like it's like perceived perspective, uh, per perception, like Hillary said about, it's the irony that Soderbergh sort of puts him in this place, maybe inadvertently, maybe not, I don't know, but consciously puts him in that place to get his ass kicked in the first five minutes to set the tone. So I like the fact that it sets the boundaries straight there. But again, I think that's the mindset that a lot of people go in with to to, to these films with, which is which is more poor on them, the owners anyway. I mean, in a in a in a way, I can kind of sort of get that where a man would go like like a man will go into a cinema seeking escapism, so it's easier for a guy to see themselves in like. In this of like, I could be this man. Like, I, I could be Jared yeah. Butler, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but then it's impossible for him to go, I could be like Gina Carano because there is this... But then it's kind of almost kind of always weirdly under, underpinned by some kind of latent misogyny. So you just kind of have to just deal with that, right? No, I, I, I agree with what you mean. I just think that it, it's a <clears throat> it's a sour sour taste to be like... It is. I'll go, I'll, I, it I, is. I can only believe that film if I can kick that person's ass. And I'm like... I don't. I don't go watch Independence Day thinking I'm going to fucking destroy the aliens or no, watching just, beat the shark up in Jaws. I don't know. It just tells you. I think you're right about the misogyny. Anyway. I think I do think there's an undercurrent of that. Most de- it's definitely. not. It's nothing aggressive. It's one of those things that just because okay, well, it's just it goes to like, why people didn't like it is because it's an action movie and vast majority of people who watch and enjoy action movies are guys. And then for them, this is kind of like an alien world. Like it took a while for people to kind of get on board with Sigourney Weaver being a, an absolute badass. Well, look at Linda it Hamilton took a while. as well. Terminator Two. Linda yeah. Hamilton. Linda Hamilton rode on the back of Arnold Schwarzenegger, ma- making making all of this happen. Right. Linda Hamilton just kind of happened as a result of that because in the first one she's an essentially a damsel in distress. Oh, of course, right? yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. yeah. In the second one, she comes up. Even Arnold goes like, "Oh, look at her! She's muscles," you know. But <laughs> so, but but, but these films are sold on world building. But but yeah, yes. but I still think though that he, he, even if it's on the the coattails of Schwarzenegger, she still had to make a decision. And she did change the industry to make Absolutely. it stuff like that. Absolutely, like, yeah, this is not a this is not a dig against. Oh no, of anyone. course, this no, is I'm just, just saying, an observation yeah. Yeah, about course, you yeah. know, like why people didn't en- engage with this movie is potentially because there's a mismatch between people's expectations and what's actually mm-hmm. delivered, and then and then well, a mismatch between what they want, what they think they want, what they think they're getting, and what they're getting. You know, what they want is an action movie. What they think they want is an action movie with a male lead. What they think they're getting is some kind of a, you know, oh, it's a feminist, whatever. I don't know what this is. You know, this is supposed to be a spider. And what they're getting is a is a very smart and lean uh, Jason Bourne film without Jason Bourne. And I suppose the biggest tragedy of the film is that all these stars that this movie is actually lined, lined with, they all have like five minutes of screen time. And then the movie doesn't have the star to pin this on. Like you don't have Arnold Schwarzenegger, 
or the equivalent, because again, latent misogyny, notwithstanding, not notwithstanding, it's, it's the result of the latent misogyny in Hollywood. You don't have the female uh, equivalent of Arnold Schwarzenegger to pin a movie on. Like you don't have Matt, like female Matt Damon to do a James Jason Bourne film with, right? So that's kind of how it just this happens. People are just not used to this. Uh, and even, but then again, anyone who has two brain cells to rub together should watch the first five minutes and see, wow, this woman, yes, ma'am, you know, <laughs> it's just like, sign me up. Like and anyone should, should see the fi- first five minutes and see, I think they're doing their own, her, she's doing her own stunts. I'm pretty sure like whenever they're doing these like weird throws on the ground, she just tells Channing just, oh, do you mind if I do this? Like, just slam me off on the ground. It's going to look great. Actually, okay? that did happen. He, at one point, yeah. he couldn't hit her, and she did, and so just hit she, me. So she finally called him a, she called him a pussy, and then he yeah. hit her. Like, not yeah. for real. Like, he was able to I go through hit, with it. Like, I get like, hit for a living. He's like, I gotta do it. <laughs> She's like, so, he, she, he goes like, I get hit for a living. You fucking coward, just hit me. <laughs> I guess it'd be like weird, like, if, I guess like the only thing I could think of is like, if I if someone put me in a scenario, it's like, okay, you have to beat a child. It'd be really hard to simulate that. So I guess they might need to be taunted in order to do it. But still, I mean, it shows and everything. And actually, like, uh, the little bit I got from her, as far as like her talking about everyone she worked with, um, she said that like, and like with Tatum, it, it was really, really great. With Fassbender, we'll get into that later. And actually, it seems like Tatum knew some stuff too. I did some digging around. Like, um, yeah, it'll, it, it was interesting to hear what she had to say about everybody. But with Tatum, she was like, it was perfect because we're both athletes and we can make mm-hmm. things look really, really real. Mm-hmm. I agree with everything you guys have said. One, A couple of things I would add to it is from Soderbergh's perspective, he's not interested in the Hollywood beats. So this completely avoids any type of Hollywood spectacle on some of the beats. And one thing I would say too, that I was thinking of as you guys were talking, if you do look at some of the female leads, those female action leads, like not, not uh, Ripley or um, Sarah Connor per se, uh, because they're sort of attached to this franchise, but let's say like La Femme Nikita, Columbiana, um, Red Sparrow, the, the female action figure is such an anomaly that I think Hollywood feels the need to express it. It's almost as if those films are superhero films and they need an origin story because you have to explain how Bridget Fonda becomes, you know, this killer. You have to explain how Black Widow becomes Black Widow and Red Sparrow becomes Red Sparrow and whatever. Um, so I just, just in listening to you guys, I think that, yeah, there is probably a disconnect between expectations because, ooh, this shouldn't it be a man doing all this stuff? I, I think that's, <laughs> that's probably the, a bit that's of the, the audience the problem. <laughs> I, I totally agree. So anyway, these are just sort of tangential and but then, uh, to what you guys are saying, but I totally agree. Can so, I yeah, quickly just, can I quickly just, by the way, I, I looked up salt made hundred uh, on a budget of 110 mm-hmm. made 118 domestic and then combined 293. So I think it counts as a flop. I it, I mean, it made a profit, but it wasn't huge. I don't think it made a profit because yeah. like budget doesn't take marketing, and so you have to at least make it make make it make double or more, right? Like it's, it's okay. usually like the three x you kind of have to make to just even turn a profit. I don't think it if it turned a profit, it probably was small and probably came that's, on home uh, media yeah, or that's, whatever. That's fair, Boda. What so I would wasn't say big. that mm-hmm. size of a film though to be released uh, in between 
sort of the the franchises of of the sure. time. It was a significant. It was the winner of its weekend, and I do remember it was sort I of suppose a big hit. So. It's interesting to me that it had that big of a budget, though. Uh, um, y- yeah. So yeah. just, but what I wanted to say just quickly, just like these action figures that you just name dropped, they're mm-hmm. all sort of I, the ideas behind the female action lead. Most most often would happen just what well, has to be a female superhero, and we have to either leverage their femininity or appeal to the um, like sexualize them so that be- so because it's still an action film and they look at their sort of the bell curves of who goes to watch them and they will be men so they have to look at them and at least just find something to to latch onto and then they will just go like well they have to look sexy right that's just base level uh, like marketing which is uh, well. Let's just say reductive, right? At, yeah. at the at the very at the very least, and they, no one's really clued into the idea that you could actually make this woman look like Cynthia Rothrock. Rothrock is just like she didn't have much of a career in the eighties outside of Hong Kong, I suppose. But really it, unfair, in my opinion. Really unfair. So but she's yeah, amazing. But, yeah, exactly. But then, like, you, you can take an uh, like this woman is an athlete, a bona fide athlete, and also like, it's fun to fun to mention as well. She's also extremely feminine. On top of that, she's not built like a like a brick shit house. She she looks she look she, you know she has a <laughs> great physique. Like she looks like she's lean and muscular, but she's all she's also extremely athletic. She looks great, absolutely amazing, and she kicks like a horse. So so you know, it's. It's it's just a pleasure watching this movie. It's just I, I I feel like there's no world building. No one explains shit to you. Like it's not happening. Like, it's almost like Soderbergh's making an anti-action film in a way. Mm-hmm. It's like Anton Corbin's A Most Wanted mm-hmm. Man or something like this. Or Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is a, is a, is to a Bond movie uh, uh, to, as to what this is to the Jason Bourne film. Definitely. No one explains shit to you. You're yeah. you're supposed to get on this and get on with this and then just. Be happy to be part to be a part of some kind of a sting operation. You have no idea what these people are doing with their blackberries, whatever. By the way, when's the last time you saw a blackberry, right? Blackberry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just and and you know, I feel like this also kind of alienates people. It's just not only I have do I have to watch um, th- this this woman kick ass, which to most people were just probably just not used to, and then they have no idea what's happening. They don't know why these people are doing what they're doing because still they're they're used to exposition laying stuff out and no you have no idea who michael douglas works for you have vague idea that he works for the government because he has a flag in flag in the background mm-hmm. like you don't know who antonio banderas is and what he's doing you don't know who kenneth is like no one no no one explains shit to if you I can, you're um, supposed to assume right yeah i mean I, I i completely agree with you i think in the long run that actually helps the film because it makes the whole thing it, yeah, yeah, immersive yeah, yeah the problem with Absolutely. that yeah the problem with that and and to play devil's advocate simon because i know you love me for this is that if that screenplay and that pitch came onto my table as a producer, that would frighten me because you 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 create you create the a, a massive dissonance between audience and actual uh, content because you you're giving them nothing that they usually want. I think for a film that does ride the coattails of doing quite a few things in perhaps unique manners, Carano's casting. Um, uh, number one it doesn't give them what they think they want no, exactly give them what they want you know what completely Welcome agree to the pain zone pain zone it's, you're, you're, you're getting yeah, that's I, what I you want people getting kicked i completely agree but Fantastic. i think, but i still think that i think as a producer reading that welcome to the pain zone i think the, yeah i think the uh, producer reading that memo because i know because i know that the the, the the first distribution company passed on it and they, they, they went elsewhere because of that and with the reshoots he had to 
to muster up. Then he reshot them again. Um, I can I can see the side of the studio saying, "You've got to listen. To, you're bringing this to me, and I can't sell this because you're not giving me anything." But again, that's why I like Soderbergh's sort of antithesis against the studio system, because ultimately he says, "Well, fuck you, then. I'll go off and I'll, I'll get this made somehow anywhere." I do like that that identity and that ideal he strives towards. He, he hates the pseudo systems, but he will not any 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 imaginable part of this film. He will not maintain their jurisdiction on his future. The art will always come first and foremost. And I think that's a principal factor that so many people could take away. In that, what if it never got made? Well, it didn't. But I didn't have to sell my soul to the devil to get it done. Sometimes, if you you know, mm. you have to do those deals in life. It, it's terrible. You have to do, do those deals. But Soderbergh at this point doesn't have to make those deals anymore. And I think it's a, it's a brilliant example to people that, you know, fuck them. It's not too bad to sort yeah. of be defensive against the people who feed you occasionally. But I think, as you said, Jakob, it, it, it then creates a film that in the long run has a second wind because it gives, gives these people a feast that they never knew they were hungry for. And again, sort of the tumble of the Bourne ultimatum and you've got you've got more sort of things that come out. And again, the, the, the Jason Bourne stuff that it's released a few years later, this still stands uniquely tall in that, in that manifesto of films where, well, that's different. That's interesting. And it is so clean cut. It's unbelievable. Like you said, I don't think we can, we can emphasize there is absolutely no ounce of fat on this product. It is absolutely yeah. 93 minutes. You're in and you're out. There's nothing to weigh yeah. it down. And yeah. it's a film that has, zero ego again and i keep on saying this chicken breast is what it is yeah it's just complete protein yeah it's pure protein it's it's generally amazing how there's absolutely no ego as well doesn't he he could easily construct sequences where it showed carano doing finishing moves that she may have done in, in actual bouts but he doesn't do that he allows the feature to discuss itself he doesn't bring ego to her and he lets her be a to be a aspect of the feature without again crafting sort of singularities or branching off or rooting it's all one big pile and i really love that mm. because he doesn't let grano go to the wolves like sasha, sasha gray would have in any of the film would have gone to the wolves you know and, and i like that he keeps the people close <laughs> he keeps the the, um, the stakes close but he also keeps it as a family dynamic where if you go after Karano, you go after us and i think people don't want to sort of go after soderbergh who's given them you know that the oceans trilogy and stuff like that. Granted, I think people will turn, but I don't. I don't think you. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I think it's still good to have that loyalty base. And you know, Carano. What surprised me is that this, you know she went off and she went to do the Fast and Furious Six. You know, then she was in. Mm-hmm. She we know she did the Mandalorian. I know she did something else. I'm forgetting. Um, she was in. She's got some straight to video stuff in there. Yeah, but she she mm-hmm. did do a few big blockbusters. Bo- bo- uh, yeah. She did the Deadpool as well, which I think was was a few years after. So she did. This should have been a straight to video, by the way. Like in the nineties, this would have had second life on straight to video. Like dads would have loved it. Well, do you know yeah. I, this is a dad movie? I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm a dad. In, I testify. Um, I bet. In, I bet in Australia, it went straight to DVD. No doubt. They always do that. Probably. They do it in loads of films. A lot Probably. of Stallone films go straight to DVD. So I can I can see a lot of people going like, oh, "This is going to be," you know, we we we'd have to make a decision, but I'm, I I don't think this is a cinematic experience either, and I think that's a that's more of a pleasant thing, and I think we'll get into that a little bit later with how he uses the aesthetic because there's there's undoubtedly a dissonance there we need to discuss, but I don't see this as a cinematic thing. I think you're right, Jacob. I think this and VHS 
is such a perfect companion. Looks mucky, looks mooder, but you've still got a flair there. It's fucking genius. Really is. It's really talented. Because it's stuff. disposable. It doesn't leave you. Like, it's one, not one of those, like, a pun of just for just, like, hijacking this. It's, just, it's not a movie that you, you switch off and you turn on the sofa to your mate with whom you watch this and then and you go, like, what do you think? Yes. Like, let's, let's talk about this movie. And the conversation maybe will be, that was awesome. Like, that's it. Have you seen how she kicked him in the nuts or something like that? That, that would be the extent of the conversation. It's very visceral, right? There's no false bottom in here. Like where you, like when you, you, you can't sustain a three and a half hour conversation like on the def, the girlfriend experience because there's like five ways you can disconnect it, right? Oh, it's I just a lean. Agree I completely agree. It's a lean, fi- fi- like beef fillet. Like all, all you do is sear on both sides, serve me medium rare. Don't overcomplicate with plot. Don't overcomplicate with character creation. As lean as character development, how it's just confined to single words. His her dad sends her a book, and then the, in the book there's just like well, just there's a dedication like love you always, semper fi. You know she's a marine. Mm-hmm. You know he's a marine. You know she's a she she has a military background. That's oh, no, no one has to go go and have a conversation for your sake to tell you that she has military background. The closest right. you get to this is the conversation she has with the dude in the car. And it's, I think it's just, a show show don't tell. Like we like in the very opening scene, we see how she fights. So and she's the one that takes charge of the getaway car. So like it's it's clear she's got a background. I tell so, you, yeah, it's, I, I was gonna I was gonna mention this later because it's gonna be in my top three. But the, the one thing I, I sort of really like this, and again, this is used, utilized in John Wick as well, is that throughout our era, especially Jacobs, because because I, I think Jacobs is like defiantly on the eighties, which is a big proponent of this, is that. They sort of used action heroes. No, 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 no. Because because I've got my point. Because it happened to me in the nineties. It happened me in the, to me in the two thousands. Is that once you take note that when you have a, an action star when they're having a fight, you'll find that they you never hear them breathe, and it's a small mm-hmm. detail which is very strange to me. You never hear them breathe. You never hear them try to take breath. Even in James Bond, you never used to hear him like uh, engulf his air, like chop up his air. In this, in the mm-hmm. diner, there are. There are aches, there are pains, there are cracks, there are snaps, and there is huffing and puffing to a point where you can hear the absolute adrenaline and fear, and you can hear that 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 gulf of like teeth cracking, and it's one of those small mm-hmm. but so effortlessly effortlessly produced details where you can feel the momentum of something being real, and it's one of those, uh, uh, especially the dynamic of being in the opening sequence as well, where it's a smash and grab almost. It's just like. We, we slowly enter and bang and it gets that momentum going it gets that atmosphere and that tension going and then he just flatlines it again and we go it's genius it's like <laughs> the heart rate in the 80s but- and 90s they had the and like uh, the idea was to over always kind of overcompensate yes. with the, and, o- uh, and overcome like, though and overcome the anime yeah the with time, yeah. the foley work right yes and action is often an escapist piece right where i think here that's that's secondary i think that soderbergh's aim in this is to make this as realistic as possible. So they're not going to run. Yeah, they're not going to run two kilometers. It's not going to be three minutes of running because that's not sustainable for, you know, regular humans. You know, she's going to catch them and then they're going to fight and the camera pulls away and you see the fight and you hear the the huffing and the puffing and and you you see reasonable moves that that someone can do although i guess one would argue that gina carano is more gifted than most in this well, but it's a very about, natural type of fight 
like about would uh, in would, would last three minutes like that's there is there's a reason why rounds are like, like mm -hmm. in boxing two three minutes and then in mma i think it's five or something mm -hmm. like this it could be less because, Jacob, i think it could be two or maybe less yeah. because like try and like if you're untrained try and box for 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 30 seconds in seriousness yeah, you you'll be just yeah. out of breath you'll be yeah, out oh, of yeah. gas quickly right and these I, and these this is how long like the longest bout that, that you have in this movie is with michael fassbender and at the end she's spent Oh yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that's that's the point. That I think that's what Soderbergh wants us to look like. Uh, and I, I, having watched the Chris file, I do see that because there's a couple of fights that Michael Caine has in that. Harry Palmer. Uh, so yeah, like I, I think that that's this is this is Soderbergh's action movie, and he wants it to be as you know immediate and palatable and mm -hmm. uh, verite as possible. But and still, hu still human though as well. It's still that dynamic of human. That that, mm -hmm. that a flesh and blood, and this isn't overly gory. Isn't overly um, uh, compensating on the on the thrill seeking either. It's just it's there when it needs to be there. There's just no ego here at all. It's it's absolutely it's for me. And then I know I keep on bringing this up every episode, but I find it fascinating that that for a career that's it's almost in its third decade at this point, it's like there's just absolutely no ego with the man who was who's won an Academy Award. <laughs> I just to me, it's just absolutely madness to me that, that this man is just separated from ego, and I think he does say after traffic, he's like, you know, um, I won all the critic circles, I won the Academy Award. I knew that after that, it was over. They're all going to come for me, and I think. I mean, the ego comes in the idea that, as you said before, he doesn't give a shit what the studio wants, and about, that's the ego. Yeah, and I, well, actually, yeah, no, well, I'll like, give you that. Who are yeah. you to tell me? I'm Stephen fucking Soderbergh. No, I, okay? but, but, but <laughs> that's kind of that's the ego. That, that, no, that's fair enough, and I do agree with you. I think you can you can definitely say that, but I also think it comes from an ideology where um, I create this. I put my ass on the line. If this flops, you might lose some money. I lose my I lose my livelihood, and I think there's there's still that idea of um, trying to retain not only your passion but your dignity as well. And I think it does get miscon misconstrued with ego a little bit. But I do think there's a passion with him putting his material on screen because you know he, he's yeah. especially with the girlfriend experience in this. That man could be slaughtered, and and you know you can hear mm. the headlines already on screen rant and collider. You know, um, ex MMA fighter Carano ca can't muster the fight, and you can just hear people going for already. So I do like the fight idea that if he's going to put someone in in the uh, you know eyes of the devil, let's say. He's going to do it, and he's going to make sure that you know we do it on our on our merit, and we don't make anyone else try to make you do anything that would would necessarily I, throw you to the dogs. I think that's a hundred percent right. Like people love working with him, and I think it's interesting the Moneyball experience that leads into this is because through the first decade of the two thousands, he was sort of king turd in Hollywood, and he was helping these other people, and he was involved with all these projects through his production company with Clooney Section Eight, and now that he's done away with this. These are the first, I can't remember really any other friction in the stories. Can you, Jakob, that we were talking about Soderbergh? But here he, he takes Moneyball right up to pre-production and the studio doesn't like it. And he says sort of like, Jakob says, I, I got the notes from the studio. I can't go ahead with it based on their notes. I don't see it that way. I don't know how to direct it that way. I got to, you know, I'm fine with being fired, um, you know, and like just he's sticking to his guns because he doesn't know how to do it the way where he's, He's giving in. The man has always had a uh, final cut. Do you know, um, I think in the 90s, like Kafka or maybe King of the Hill, maybe, right? Where these but not so are, much in he, the creation. Like, it, uh, like I remember it was all about 
It was actually you know, getting funding to act, finding people who would sponsor this crap, right? And like, finding people who would watch it later. You know, yeah, those um, were always sort of the struggles. Do you know, just speaking of that, Randy, about the, the Moneyball scenario, I mean, you've just got to put that in perspective of a human being as well. Let t- take all the, the, the charade around it about making it, you know, making the money out of it. But the idea of going into pre-production on it and within weeks of being, let's say, fired on it, the idea of someone coming to him and saying, can you do this? And you hand on heart knowing you can't do it yet you agree to do it and it's a misfire and you ruin, you could possibly ruin careers your own included. It takes, and I'm not, I'm not saying as a martyr for his own cause here, I don't want anyone to mis, well, misconstrue that, but I do think there has to be a certain type of person to sit down and say, I can't do that. And to me to do that, I think I'd be putting you at jeopardy, to me at jeopardy. I think this should be better than someone else. Because he also did this within Somnir as well. I think we, 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 mm-hmm. we sort of had that conversation. And sometimes making the right decision is is taking well, is saying no, you know, and and, and it's very mm-hmm. it must be very difficult in this. Um, I've I've heard loads of stories of of famous directors. I we shouldn't have made that, you know. We, I should never have made that. You know, it wasn't me. Spielberg's one of them with 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 Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I should never have done that. My heart wasn't in it. Why fucking do it then? Why do it? Because the paycheck was too good and you had loyalty to people. But you knew if it wasn't going to come out, your heart wasn't. His. Don't do it. I don't. I don't. Fo- I don't suffer those fools lightly at all. If you if you can admit to yourself it's not for me I shouldn't do this I think that takes so much more guts and pardon the mm-hmm. phrase but I think it takes a lot of balls to do that for anyone to, to accept the fact of the, the faults not necessarily in a nasty way or a bad way but just owning the fact that they're human I can't deliver this product I just can't do it I'm gonna back out now I'm gonna let you have time again I'm not it's not a martyr for his own cause presumably people yeah. might think that but I, th- I do think that's an um, um, an aspect of his of his ideology. That, that you get a sense of exactly what you're saying, Jack, mm-hmm. in his uh, memoir and his interview with Richard Lester. Uh, and it's around the time of Schizopolis. He's interviewing Richard Lester. And it's interesting to read his journals because that's part of it. And he's talking about he was contracted to write um, the script for Henry Selleck's film at the time, which never did take off. It's uh, based on a kid's story, Toots. I, that's what it was going to be Toots. called. But it's based on a popular kid's story, and it was going to be Henry Selleck's next film in the, hey, the late 90s. And uh, at any rate, he really struggled with this, do a do a right, send it to Selleck, get it back from his office, because he really wanted to do a good job for Selleck, and he had a lot of respect um, for him. But it was you get the sense that that was just a major drain, and he didn't really do any other writing after that. And I, I'd say that mentality was part of it. It's like, it's not my project. I don't see it this way, or at least I don't come by it easily. Yeah. And he found that really hard. I've got another one so as well. I, I remember reading about Chris Columbus, who um, after the Harry Potter films was hired by Spielberg and Lucas to deliver a screenplay for uh, the fourth Indiana Jones movie in the early 2000s. And he, he was like, Adam is like, I shouldn't really be doing this because these are my heroes, but they offered me a million dollars. And what was he going to say? No, did three drafts to fight him, lost his working relationship with both of them. I mean, sometimes maybe a million dollars is not the best thing to take when it, when you know full fact before it, you shouldn't do it, you know. And, and it does. I mean, a million shrink. dollars is is a bad idea to take if you're Chris Columbus when you had more millions of dollars in your house, mm. right? Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure. If, I'm, if, I'm pretty if someone sure. offered me a million dollars to write a fourth Indiana Jones movie, I'd say like, I don't know how to write a movie, but I'm saying yes to this. But that's you though. This yeah. man's got this man's <laughs> got gross percentage, I'm sure, in the first two Harry Potter yeah. films. So I think he's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And Soderbergh in the 90s, when he was doing Schizopolis, you know, so he takes the Toots job and he's, you know, he's still trying to 
pay his way at that point. He's he hasn't done Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, and I, and, and I can I can appreciate that aspect of his dynamic as well because at that mm-hmm. point you do need to have the commercial like De Palma. De Palma has no right to be making certain films that he did in the seventies and eighties. He should be making Blowout. He should be making um, a film with John Lithgow, uh, which is the, the one where he's... Raising Cain? No, which one? Yeah, Raising... Blowout, Blowout also has John yeah, Lithgow, yeah, of course. Just, uh, yeah, just, to be, uh, just to be perfectly uh, honest. Yeah, and he's all, I think he's also in another one as well. But I, I do think that he should be making films like Raising Cain, you know? But then the man can make Scarface, and, and, but it comes with maturity, doesn't it? I don't think De Palma should have been made <laughs> making Phantom of the Paradise, although it's a perfectly fine film. His, his films are Great sisters. Film. But at that point... What, who's to, you've got to sort of work it out. But there is a point where you do get in life where saying no to certain things is, is, the, is the best type of, of, of medicine because you don't have to have that fury in public. But um, just to, to move on as well, I was just saying about the idea of having issue with the studio. The, the, it's interesting because I, I, read, I read after the fact that he'd had... There's also an obsession, by the way, just to put it in yes, perspective. Yeah, yeah it is because yeah. he wears a white suit and obsession. That's the film I was thinking about. Yep. Um, yes. There is there's a, a sequence in... Uh, this film towards the opening, um, and it's not the actual op- cold opening with uh, Channing Tatum and and Carano. It's it's the one where they're in uh, in Europe, and um, it wasn't until afterwards I read about there was a, an issue with the final cut, and he was like, people are trying to edit this into something it wasn't. He then went back to a different distribution company. He reshot certain things, but you can definitely tell <laughs> from the opening gambit to when they're in Europe, where the safe house goes to shit, and she runs off after that guy. Because there is a there is a, a very strange different type of tone there where we see something that's quite kind of horrifying, kind of frightening. Gunshots in public, the tensions there. Uh, it, it's like split everywhere with the edit. It's constant, it's fractious. And then she runs after him, but it's shot superbly, mm-hmm. like Soderbergh fashion, where we pan on, on a on a on a closed camera. We have a, a Dutch angle at the top looking down on her, but we have that jazz music, and I was like, that's such an interesting take to do that. And then we have a little bit of comedy, not comedy, but more sort of interaction with 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 place where she takes down the shutter and it hits him. That you also have a bit of comedy when she does a Captain America shield throw. Yeah, <laughs> to to me, to me, I think that's yeah. the film that Spielberg. Sorry, Spielberg. Excuse me. That's the film that Soderbergh wanted to make, and I think this still this mm. film is still fractious in the ideology of of, of someone else having. Of having a say in it, and then Soderbergh wanting to put his own inflections in, because them two sequences, for me personally, do not feel like they're in the same film or should be in the same film. And not on mm-hmm. I, after that, that type of tone. Aside from let's say the final scene, which I actually quite like with with Antonio Banderas, I think that's not ever showcased again in this film. I think it's quite dark and it's quite gritty. I don't think that that tone is ever present again. And maybe that's the, maybe if I'm trying to work that in my head, it's perhaps a, a subconscious thing of, well, the tone's going to sort of change now because we're going to get certain narrative differences and, a, and a, a deviation of what you think is going to happen. So perhaps it's that, but I don't think the film is too smart to include that at that point. Not, perhaps I'm wrong. I don't know about anyone else would think the same, but I just think there's, a, there's definitely a tonal discourse there that changes and then goes back. I think you have a point there. Yeah, I didn't notice that at all, but there is something different about that stretch of the film. And I'm trying to process that now, so I can't really say very much about it because I'd be babbling, but... <laughs> go yeah, ahead, go ahead. Very, Join the club, go ahead. Some, uh, no, um, well, no, it, it would just be like a, 
it'd be we're working out stuff in real time and that would not be interesting but yeah you brought oh, up it something would be interesting. Come the nail on, on the come on <laughs> so much pressure no but um no there is something very different i think maybe it is the music um it is completely shot it, there's bits of it that go into black and white and slow motion and yes. stuff like that um, and there's some dead ends with things. That's something that happens quite often in the film is that there's these little things that happen that seem like dead ends. Like, I don't know what the significance was of the, it's like a garbage truck or something that parks in front of Tatum and you think something's going to happen, but then nothing happens. And um, there's like flash forwards and flashbacks because it's showing their surveillance and stuff like that. It's It seems like it's done by a different editor. I think you have something there. It's definitely fractious, isn't is it? Definitely fractious. This yes. is a new wave, new wave spy film. This is exactly what Soderbergh's always been doing. This is his mo. I think Deconstruct this is the, the genre. Thing, yeah, like I think he played. He used, I think he really liked playing around with editing mm. and finding his stories and how to. Yep. How do I bleed from color coded? Just color coded. Co- color coded and have these smooth <laughs> transitions from present to past, and the only difference is George Clooney's facial hair. There's no other. <laughs> no other clues. So I, I think that <laughs> no and that's clues. what I was referring to earlier. <laughs> That's what I was referring to earlier. I think that he is just experimenting here a bit in the post-production in a way that we haven't seen as much since maybe the limey. And this is the scene, Jack, where I, where I feel a lot of it because you've got the black and white, the, but the, there's a shot there where the black and white um, just fades into color and it's also slow motion and fades into regular speed all in the same business. And what it's doing, it's tying in this because previously you had whoever this guy is, I sort of forget his role in this, but he was a, he was some sort of loose end, someone who could rat them out or something. And Carano goes chasing him. We get little shots of him buying the newspaper or whatever in black and white. So this is sort of connecting. This guy is going to become part of the Barcelona job in a moment. So um, it's a way to involve him. And then when he catches up to them, without needing the geography to shoot the geography to see this guy coming the black and white fades into the color and that's just sort of i think it's a stunt that Soderbergh has, has come up with and the slow motion from this guy who's going to be this witness um that fades into the the present where gina crown is moving at full speed or no she's actually slow motion as well um but i think that's a way of just sort of fusing the characters together and another brilliant piece i like in that which i feel sort of an experimental stunt which i loved is when she's shooting the gun when there's gunplay you just have this sound of a pulse it's like everything's muffled foom, foom, foom. and it's just that you hear that rather than a gunshot i think it's fantastic it's expressive it slows everything down it uh i i just love this but i think he's coming up with a lot of it on his laptop when he's editing it agreed i, mean, I feel there's a there's a reason for it i mean i understood it as though What's in black and white is kind of sort of like, okay, this is this is the bit where I kind of need some exposition because this character is going to come out of nowhere, right? Otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what the slow motion kind of signifies, this, this sort of the main current merging in, where you're effectively observing this from Gina Carano's um, perspective for a while. Because mostly you are kind of detached you're just kind of obse- observing these things unfold almost as a like a third person. But there, there are occasions where you're in the moment with the character and then it's usually gunfights or fights. And then this is when yeah. also music will cut, hard cut to silence. So he will yeah. have this... 
and then just stop, fight, and then fight res- fight stops, and the music resumes. It's just okay. So well, I think this. Anything. Yeah. I, 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 and this is something he would do a lot of too. Is he would play scenes in the editing suite or on his laptop and just, well, let's try it without all the sound effects. Let's try it without any music. Uh, let's try it. Like, so he's, he's doing, he's, he's trying to give a very fresh look at his, his films when, while he's editing. Um, so that's what I feel this is too. And he's coming up with these, these, these things to um, bring this other character into the fold, into the action. And, you know, he's doing it with sound and with his slow-mo and editing. Sorry, Hillary, go ahead. Oh no, um, I didn't have any. I was just saying, like, it wasn't needed. I actually, I really preferred the fight scenes with that. If there had been a music accompaniment over <laughs> a lot of these scenes, I don't think they would have been as powerful. That's the only point I was going to make. I sort of, I sort of agree with Hillary as well, but I also understand the ideology behind it because I, I can, Randy, I, I can completely understand your point, and I can see that as fact. I can see him taking the footage on, uh, on the weekend, editing it, and just playing around with it, thinking. I've, I've watched some Godard this week. I watched some Alphaville. I'll, 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 I'm going to try and test it. Mm-hmm. But I still think, though, that even though it's sort of this very new wave esque O'Day and it and it's adventurous and it's inviting and it and it's and it's experimental, it feels strange to put that there in such what is going to be the most pivotal scene of the whole feature. But is it a problem? <laughs> I don't. I not not for that, not for flow. No, no. I agree with it. I like like Hillary said. I don't think it's it's not a problem with flow because it flows quite well. It's 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 interesting, mm-hmm. but it's just consistently so such a dissonance to the audience of what we've seen in the opening gambit. So to me, I'm watching I'm like, oh, okay, this is. I'm more focused on the actual aesthetic than I am the plot, and I think that's going to be a major gripe going towards because if that was just conveyed a little bit more with ease, that inter- <clears throat> integral sequence of the feature. I don't think the film would have much issues trying to explain itself in exposition later on. But because it's so, like, visually like, compounding and it's like, fuck, okay, right? And then we have this, 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 flare, flare, flare. And again, I, I think it's a conscious decision of him to do that, to visually strike up um, a relationship of the film in order to detract away from actually what's happening, which is a deal gone bad at that time we don't know. And again, it's not this fractious uh, internal element of tone where everything is heightened, Everything is like going to shit because the actual sequence itself is in the film. I can appreciate what he's trying to achieve. For me, I think in that sequence, it could have gone anywhere else. I just don't think the idea is best to convey it in that integral sequence. I I think the sequence at her father's house plays wonderfully that because he doesn't piss around with anything. He just lets the the fucking atmosphere take over. But in broad daylight, I think he's, he's trying to sort of dissect and elevate the already done-to-death sequence of that happening on the screen. He's not going to make heat, is it? So I think there's an ideology there between, like, let's take this back, let's make something unique. But there, for me, in that sequence, not needed, because it convolutes the whole idea of narrative there, because I've got no fucking idea what's going on. I really don't. Mm-hmm. See, and I wonder if it would be a little bit more confusing if the the guy in black and white, because now that I'm trying to think stays in black and white through. yes just well of this one guy in black and white there's just one guy black and white in. but if he's not black and white i'm probably wondering who the hell is this guy and yep. he isn't really an integral except that he's sort of this tack on and a loose end and it gives us a little bit of uh character information about her is that you know she's complete she's thorough and she's not going to leave any stone unturned and she's not going to leave loose ends and 
like this guy is sort of attack on. So I think honestly, without the black and white, maybe it's a little bit more confusing as to who this random dude is but that does just it matter? pulls out a gun. Does it matter who he is? Does it does it matter that you don't know? I guess they make it seem like you should know. That's what was confusing to me. Mm-hmm. Is it's like this guy's really important. It's like, and eh, now he's gone. I mean, it's for, an it's mm-hmm. not a, like a, a deal breaker for the film, but it's a little bit confusing the first time you watch, mm-hmm. and maybe the second time too. For for me, this is part of the experience. As you you, you kind of said this already before, where it's just like this um like this garbage truck that pulls up, and you think, just, is this important? Is this part of the plan, or is no? Just things just happen. A garbage a garbage truck pulled up. It's just we are conditioned to have mm-hmm. shit explained to us so that if someone starts shooting at another guy or our character, the girl in this instance, right, we should expect to know who they are so that, oh, I know who this is. But the entire gimmick of the movie is that it doesn't matter. Like she has this sort of scene where she walks down the streets of uh, of Dublin and there's this guy shadowing her. I don't care if he if, if, if she knows him or if she or, or if we've seen him before. All that, all that I care about is if she figures out that he's following her that's it that's all that matters it's just this is like a guy in a trench coat following that feels like that feels like a false equivalency though because that sequence you're talking about there is a genre convention whereas the other one is a narrative um trying to convey a narrative that so the two the the, the first the the other sequence i was talking about is essentially just like french connection sort of like this is his french connection flex no i i like like the i think the red herrings are not an issue for me i think i think there's a lot going on and a lot that way he's trying to sort of manipulate the idea of what, what could happen next. And I completely get that. But I just, I think the edit is, is, is turned up to 11 when I think it needs to be turned down to a seven, just, just in order for the audience to truly sort of find, um, and grasp tone and narrative of what's going to lead into this. Because after that, it becomes slightly like, oh, Barcelona. You sort of like, all right. So what you are, you begin to ask questions and, and, and detract from the feature itself. It's like you, I remember um, reading about Christian McQuarrie and Tom Cruise today about they were going to de-age Tom Cruise in the opening of Dead Reckoning, and Chris McQuarrie was like, "We should do it," but all I'm, everyone who has ever watched it said he's going to insist on de-aging himself naturally. No, 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 start no. eating fetuses. No, no, or no. Something. Well, allegedly, no, no comment. <laughs> um, but he was like, it detracts from the cinema going <laughs> experience because everybody's talking about the actual de-aging and not the sequence itself. And I feel the, the same mm-hmm. thing is applicable here where we're always talking about the actual aesthetic of, it, of, of of what's being shown on screen, but actually no one's talking about the narrative because we've got no idea. I've no, no idea what happens in that sequence. I know it goes bad, people start shooting, but it's so like, um, uh, it just, it, it, it feels like adventurous for the t- adventurous sake rather than giving uh, the, the, the feature the time to, to do it. Because I think you can have that, that flex and you can have that um, experimental nature to this film but i think you can you can probably choose this in multiple areas that sequence there for me i think um, that's I mean, probably the first big mix the, the first and maybe the only misstep this feature actually makes as an in, as an editing flex i don't mind it because it kind of comes and goes and you're just like oh i guess that happened there are moments in the, there's a moment in the sequence and that is going to make an appearance where i think it's just tonally sometimes soderbergh soderbergh is just a funny dude like he sometimes he wants to just put a joke in there right yeah and i feel he sometimes just um like in this film it just doesn't doesn't really fit because the movie itself is trying is trying to be extremely grounded it's neat it's like an anti-jason Bourne film right almost like it's like an anton corbin sort of uh movie right 
where he has occasional these moments where he's trying to be playful, where it almost doesn't belong, where like the the shutter just and the guy is just spasming <laughs> for I want to say ten seconds. I'm like, why? Or when Gina Carano has just says something to just to herself for no good reason. Um, it, there are these like the or the guy in the car who just like has these sort of so what do you do for a living like you just had a traumatic experience like why is why is this here you know so there are these moments where they're trying to be playful which runs contrary to like if the, if we're if this movie is otherwise realistic this isn't this isn't the realistic direction this this element of the story would take right this would be something else she would just drop it on him hard cut we don't care or she would just shoot him in the face that's it right i think but narratively yeah. Narratively, there might be a point that chasing this dude doesn't really do anything. I think there's a point there, but I think this this sequence is is cool enough. It's hard to cut this sequence because you've got the fight in the hallway where she's leveraging her punches by kicking off the wall and, and this playful bit of throwing the, the the platter at his head and dropping the 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 steel drop door on him. Like that that's all because she's chasing this one guy. So I think the edit and bringing this guy into it is just something that Soderbergh just said. a little bit clumsy, right? I don't even find it that clumsy because probably without it, if if it's a little bit more traditional, how this guy happens along, then I'm saying why why does he belong here? Here it sort of fits. I'm looking at this other guy, and Soderbergh's making me look at this other guy as if he's important because he's in black and white and moving at normal speed, and everything else is that uh, slow slow mo. So he's he's also he's just sort of making that piece fit via mm-hmm. the edit. Whereas otherwise, it's just a stranger that shows up in the middle of this uh, hostage freeing uh, job. So yeah, that that's what it is to me. It plays plays fine, but yeah, there might be a point that you don't the narrative doesn't need this this guy. Um, but maybe the fun and the pace of the film probably does. Anyway. But but do we want? Is it is it? This Go is ahead. the guy who turns around the corner and shoots, isn't Randa? Yes. Fa- but the the film makes it quite an important aspect to to go back to his story when we have the sequences of ex, ex um, exposition with Ant- Antonio Banderas. He's talking about the scenario that's happening in the safe house, and this guy is then in black and white once again brought up as the person who's like trying to look after him. So again, it does the, the film does try to bring it back circle, gives absolutely no. And like, like Jakob said, it gives no um, definition or purpose to who he actually is, but it goes back to the fact that we know that this person was hiding this person. And if it had been there, this perhaps wouldn't have gone down as it was. So there is some narrative um, yeah, importance. Yeah, he, he has a purpose. Um, and yeah, and I, I don't know if I could explain no, specifically what the purpose is. Like no, but I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's an issue, though. I'm never, I don't think that's an right. issue either. Because uh, he, he's there, he serves a, a, a visual um, um visual purpose nothing more we don't need to spend any more time with him anywhere so i don't think that's the issue at all i, I think showing him in the in the black and white and, and the panic i think it's a it's a pretty good idea and then again showing and not telling a perfect idea as well because it always keeps the momentum so i don't know i think it works but again it's i think it's, it's a, it depends on opinion how you like your flow ebb and flow so Let's move on to some of the other uh, fight sequences in here. <laughs> Never thought um, this would take this long to go through this. Little I know we got stuck there for a but, while. But but I I, I want to hear uh, Hillary's comments on uh, the Fassbender character and that uh, devolution of that 
relationship into the fight it turns into. So welcome ahead, to the Hillary. pain zone. I know you've been oh, yeah. waiting to talk about Fastbender. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, one of the things that was interesting about revisiting this film is, you know, I mean, although it's not completely relevant to the discussion of the film itself is how the, the stars are, some of the stars are viewed today. I mean, and with Gina Carano, we've touched on that briefly about her saying some things that were pretty irresponsible and considered quite hateful. And so it's kind of chilled her career. Um, and with Fassbender, I mean, there's domestic abuse allegations filed against him in 2009 that everyone ignored for quite a long time um, until I think post Me Too, which I thought was a little bit strange because I'd known about them for quite a while and I thought they were quite serious because it wasn't just someone saying that he'd beaten her up like there were hospital records and stuff like that. Just to put in there, Hillary, as well, uh, not, uh, I mean, it's quite rude of me to do so, but I do apologise. This was also mm-hmm. then brought up again when he when Shame came out with Steve McQueen. So I, I have heard these before as well, but these, yes, were, these yes. were so dwindling rumours at that point as well. Like, I, I remember Shame came out and then people were talking about it and then it just disappeared. I've, I've mm-hmm. tried to look these up myself as well. And I've always had a hard time finding them, but I remember hearing this and I remember seeing this, and then it just went gone because he because he yeah. then he had the jump then didn't he? He went to a different level in his career and it just jumped. Yeah. So they, I, 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 I understand they what you mean. Tried to bury it. Yeah, I, I have read the I read the police report, and I read the I read the hospital records, and I think they did call her and she said, "Well, you guys have the records. There's nothing I can do." She didn't say anything. I think that she'd been probably shut up at that point, but. What, so what, revisiting this fight scene, um, I mean, it is just a fight scene, but he, I found some things that she said about working with him. She was being interviewed with, and Tatum was with her, and she said, you know, he had no problem slamming me into anything. And I thought, well, her saying that doesn't really, hmm. it didn't really age well. And there is a, I mean, you guys might be already aware of this anyway, but he slammed her head into um, a wall for real. Mm-hmm. And she said mm-hmm. she lost it, and that's why she slammed the, the vase over his head. Does she also say um, that she saw something in his eyes as well? Like she saw, like she said, um, no. He said he's. He said that devil? he said. Um, she said, "I kind of slammed a vase right into Fassbender's face, but he said he knew it was coming because he saw a flash in my eyes. Right, and right after it, yeah. that, I happened. I yeah. thought, I'm so fired. I'm going to lose this job. It's interesting because that she talks about how he had no problem like throwing her around and being violent with her." And Tatum chimes in, he was always trying to piss her off and see what happens. So it does make me wonder, like, there is, are these certain rules that happen with promoting a film or talking about your experiences on set where it's like, oh, it was wonderful. Like, they're just so passionate about what they do and things like that. But the fact is, <laughs> I don't know if he's saying that about Soderbergh or he's talking about Fassbender. It sounds more like Fassbender, but he's just like, yeah, he was always trying to antagonize her during the fight scenes. And finally, she hit back because that was her style with fighting and researching the film a little bit. She talked about her fighting style in MMA. Her mom would complain about it. She'd say like, why do you let people hit you several times before you start retaliating and the fight gets really ugly? And she says she needs that adrenaline rush of someone attacking her in order for the fight to become a lot more brutal for her to act out. Cause pretty much all the rest of the people who she worked with, especially like McGregor and Tatum, they said, you know, she's very, very gentle. And she always wants things to be, she wants people to be okay. And of course they said like, she's a really like um, sweet person and like smiling a lot and laughing and totally unlike her character whatsoever. So 
they would have these scenes that were quite brutal, but she would always make sure that things were okay. But this particular scene, the sequence is memorable enough on its own, but it is very interesting to see it again through that light where you have someone who potentially or allegedly has no problem being at women. It does add another layer to the scenes where you're like, oh, this is him doing this and he actually really likes it. I don't know. Very, very strange. Agreed. I mean, very interesting. Difficult lens. to say, though, because it's like correlation and causation, two different things, right? So it might just be that he's one of those method freaks that he just, I don't know, he just gets into the, my character enjoys it, so I'm enjoying it. And then, and she just doesn't, maybe doesn't get it because she's not a professional actor, so she has no idea that this is what she's dealing with. She just thinks like, this guy's weirdly serious. Like, so, um, so, I was also the first, it was the first science fight they shot too. So, if, so it might yeah, have been so, a shock. But it is interesting like, that I don't know. I that one yeah, was the roughest just, one. Yeah. If, if, I, if I, yeah. I just want to add something as well, and just to add on, on both stories. I don't, I don't know anything about the the, uh, the domestic violence allegations, um, and, and with the libel laws, I'd be very <laughs> skeptical of, of going into that too deep. Although I can, I can vouch for what Hillary said. I, I've seen these, so I, I know they're there. But I will talk about power dynamics here. Now, I've also read a story about him on on um, Twelve Years a Slave, where he would purposely rub alcohol around his body, and he would he would he would try and uh, create an alcoholic. Um, perception of himself in that character so that when the characters of the the, the slaves of Lupita Nyong'o specifically would get up close to him she would first smell um alcohol and stuff like that now mm-hmm. I, I can understand within the film the concept of that film and the, the ideology of a method actor I think that's quite genius however the two examples that I've just shown there is that the first one with what Hillary's brought up that's that's Gina Carano's first film in, in, a, in, a, in a major, let's say, a major studio film and a major budget, there is a dynamic there that's pushed, and he's pushing her like he would push a seasoned act, actress who was in those roles. And just because she is an MMA fighter doesn't give anyone else the power dynamic to sort of push those. And, and secondly, I think it was Lupita Nyong'o's first breakout role in a massive, mm-hmm. massive studio uh, feature, again, pushing their dynamic. Now, I'm not privy, nor nor any of us privy to understand what those conversations on set were or have been. So perhaps those those things have been discussed and 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 dissected and analysed and and being given consent. So we can't so we can't judge that. But I do think that there's a dynamic there of of a, of of trying to push the dynamic there a little bit too far to get what you want on screen, because I I don't think Soderbergh's a director who would necessarily find that comfortable either. In one of his features, no, I had a hard time believing. But, she said that he was being a bit mischievous while they were doing it. Yeah, but he lets just... his actors do their thing. That's kind yeah. of his mo as well. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those that he doesn't necessarily meddle with help with people's processes. So I could only—I mean, for this, I, can, I have only one other, another thing to say as well, which is worth bearing in mind. Robert Pattinson said this one time: like, no one ever claims method acting when they're playing a nice guy. Like, no one's trying to get into the mind of, like, you know, someone who's just having a nice day. It's always just an excuse to be a dick to people. Yes, I love that quote. And I've talked about people, so, uh, I've talked know. to people who do act, and they say that method actors are the worst people they've ever worked. Have you ever heard? Because like it's, a lot of it's element. unnecessary. Like, you can be, like, actually adding alcohol to you, so, like, it's it smells like booze or whatever like that. If you're getting along with a person and you feel safe, that's one thing. But I mean, this is also someone who is, you know, simulating like, yes, incredibly you aggressive acts, yeah. beating yes. you, 
things like that. That's really, that can add a dimension to the relationship that's a little bit scary. I mean, there was the huge Jeremy Strong controversy um, about a year ago. And it's, it's, it seems pretty consistent. Like when you hear about these people and like their particular process and it's always a man, usually a white guy. It's like they're fucking horrible on set and if people I, don't like working with them. Not, not the results to, aren't great. <laughs> yeah, so. I've got another example here and it's another one that's sort of gone into myth as well mm-hmm. is the Dustin Hoffman Meryl Streep on Kramer vs. Kramer. Oh my God, yes. So I've heard two versions of this and I think I know which one's true. <laughs> the, 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 the golden rule is that he slapped her to get the uh, to the to get the um, impression of, of 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 just shock. I've also heard that he taunted her with the death of John Cazale to a face who had died of cancer, not merely months before this film went into production. A horrible mm-hmm. death hmm. after the Deer Hunter. So that there there is a, a an ideology to put forward. A putting putting one's hands on another person without their consent. Is a no go. I think we can all agree. There's there's no conversation there that allows that to be. It's just like let's let's revisit this in October when we talk about the Exorcist. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, yeah, Yeah. because there's multiple things about freaking saying certain things to Linda Blair on that set as well, which I've heard. Um, He punched Ellen Burstyn, right? Didn't he? No, he um he had her hooked up to a harness and kept or just fired a gun and like like behind her back or something like this. Yeah, I, I hate to say this, but this is standard operating procedure yeah, for a long time in Hollywood. Like oh, the, it is. The 70s is kind of just like, that's yeah. just how they did yeah, it. Yeah, I think no one's blush, yeah. no one's blushing in the 70s, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But, no, but just to no. back to my point, though, like what Hillary said, mm-hmm. there is a dynamic there that I think that it just it just feels a little bit too icky for me. And I think even watching mm-hmm. the scene, even when I watched it back in 2011 um, or 2012 without... Um, I think obviously knowing the or have, not having knowing read anything. yeah not yeah. knowing anything, but having read the, these things and then it being a fleeting thing um, it does feel like a very strange um, piece of the film as well because you can and again this might be more credit to the performers than us sort of subtextually analysing it but I do think there's so much venom in that sequence as well it feels angry mm. it feels um, aggressive it feels like a little bit of um, sadistic nature came to it to showcase that this woman is also in peril. But I do think as well, and I, and I, and I don't think Gina Carano, Carano would say this because of, of, of the person that she is and, 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 and how she, she stands very tall um, within her beliefs about certain things. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think she would th- feel like her dynamic was, was overpowered or that she was, she was um, told to allow, um, allow this dynamic to occur. But I do think in any other production, if that was a newcomer, I think they'd be absolutely fucking fury on. I really do um, because because she's a very strong-willed woman in a, in an op, in a in a operator of of being an MA action hero in a, an actual day-to-day life. I think this perception that she can take it and fastbender the idea that she is going to uh, meet her one-on-one, but that's not what this is. This is simulated, and I think once you break that boundary down, going into that wanting to again with a ten thing, I, I want to if I a woman can kick my ass. I don't think that's particularly the sort of ideology you want to go in with. And the perception sort of becomes really murky. This is a feature film. It's simulated. And again, if it's an accident, that's fair enough. And I'm not condoning either action. If, if he's if he's gone through that dynamic, then it, it, she's hit him back. But I still think mm-hmm. that that should never really get to that point. It should all be simulators. Very strange. Well, no. Well, it's also out of character is... too. Because like, if you think about I mean, it's revealed at the end where he says, like, I've never done a woman before. You know, and that he's morally conflicted about it. There's no moral 
and it like there's no conflict going on with him and what he's doing throughout that sequence Mm -hmm. it's very very aggressive so it is a little bit um there's something about the performance that is off too i agree i think he's not surprised by anything he's and he's just immediately like a murder machine i think i would agree with you the dynamic plays a lot differently after the actual the tone of what occurs before it and what occurs after it so i agree with you yes you're right i think there's something in that sequence that has changed granted on first viewing it helps the film enormously because it feels horrifically like gruesome it feels almost sadistic to a point where we're just watching two ragdolls uh but again, I think looking looking into that film, it, there has always been something that feels slightly murky about that sequence to me. You get that feeling in a few times. I mean, but I'm, let's let's be honest. Like, she, like let's. Like, I don't. I don't want to just patronize anyone. But like, Gina Carano is a big girl, so she would be able to say Oklahoma, Steve. This is fucking uncool. Okay, I, I, we didn't. I didn't agree to this. I I, I think right? I think that if, I've, I've read interviews about Jacob. I've read I've read what she said and. And I think that she she's a, a very she's a person that from her community. I mean, got to bear in mind this film came out. It wasn't until a year later that the UFC introduced uh, female fighters, such as Ronda Rousey, signed the first one. So she's a year ahead of it, of its time. Even complaining about saying that the UFC will get there, I think that she thinks this is this is um, fair game. I think that's the dynamic that she's been put into. I mean, she was an athlete before she was in MMA. No, of course, but I, I don't I don't want that to blur the lines so- that someone can go one on one. Again, no, no. again, if I was in the room, maybe it would have been. Maybe I would have seen something different. But I still think there's such a, there's such a, a fury in that sequence where you don't see that again. And she fights two or three more people to a point where it's quite gruesome, but nothing as maybe because it, it feels like he shoots it in a safe zone. We're in someone's room. We feel we're aware, and then mm-hmm. it, then then he invites her into that room, and we feel uh, a, we don't feel any complexion against it because we feel subdued because we are going into a homely attitude, and then he hits her with a vase, and he throws her onto the ground. Maybe it's that dynamic where it feels turned up to eleven, but it's still still looking back into it, it's very murky waters to do something like that, and then I mean, well, if you if you squint and you really want to kind of take offense at this, yeah. First of all, on a story level, she knows what she's walking into as a character. At that point, she knows. Does, yeah. the, she she knows because she knows where the blackberry was. She finds the dead body, so she knows. Fastbenders just lied to her as well, so she knows she's walking into a room expecting a fight. She takes her shoes off before. Do, yeah. do you think she does does it because she's tired or she's doing it for a reason? Because fighting in high heels is just very not 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 cool, right? So I think. This is functional for her. Now, for for me, there's... Okay, well, being a dick on set... Look, you can call yourself method all you want. F- whatever. Jack Nicholson is a method actor, and he switches it on and off. He mm-hmm. can go, okay, Stanley, on, th- on on the count of three. One, two, three. Honey, light of my life. Oh my God, you know, it was like, like he, he was there. And then, then he just cut, and and then he's just you know, and he's just like, so how how did it go? You know, so he 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 knows the boundary. Like some people know where the boundaries are. So it's for some people, it is. I, I totally agree. It's an excuse to be an asshole on set. Would you would That's you agree what, more so for the argument in the, in the case of method acting? Then do you think where it, there's? I mean, I don't I don't want to get into any allegations of so. No, no, no. I don't. Sorry. Like no, I don't. Life. I don't mean that, Jacob. I just mean that. Do you think that the uh, the excuse to sort of go method? In, in a lot of cases, is, is the idea to sort of push the boundaries of what's capable on set. Do you think that that's an, not necessarily an excuse, but a gateway to do that? No, you say? because I think, every, 
the things should be either agreed on uh, on set, or either either in general. So so that, you know, like expect this from me in general. This is what I'm going to behave like. I mean, we should be professionals about certain things, right? I'd say this would be the bare minimum. This is how I'm going to conduct myself on set. So if I'm if I'm like icky or don't want to talk to you, I'm just in the zone. This is my process. Leave me alone. Okay. So so at least people are aware of how people do things. And another thing I want to say is that there's the idea of an ego involved in here, um, where you have Michael Fassbender, who's three years after the hunger. So he's still, let's just say gaunt. I think that's the word. Yeah, inglorious bastard's age, isn't it? Yeah. So, so let's just say, there's an, this is the element of the, the let's just say, fra- fractured male ego, I suppose. Maybe the, this is me trying to psychoanalyze a guy I've never met, right? He's a guy who's half her size, right? So if if he was going at it, like he, this is me being in his head. If I go at it like I'm an actor and whatever, uh, and we're simulating, this is not going to look real because she, like Gina Carano, with her eyes closed and one hand tied behind her back, she kicks his ass, just in general. Just, yeah. she, she, he, he's not in her weight category, let's be honest. Look... So there's the element of ego. So it's like, well, we're, if we're pretending, and I have to pretend that I'm an I'm a character who's technically a, a big threat to her. So I need like I don't know what how it was written in the script that she needs to be threatened by him. So this whole thing should maybe look like she's in peril. Then if he pretends, he's not gonna do the the, the job. So his solution to this was let's just uh, what if I just play this for real and not, the the uncool thing about this things think something that i think should have been discussed if it wasn't was informed the woman in the pro before it's like i'm gonna i'm gonna really try okay so 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 let's do this for real if you're okay with this and then be, because you know like i don't know but but then again i i, I i'm trying to psychoanalyze a guy no i i, I, I agree with you not yeah. met. Wait, but wait, i feel wait. like this is the element like he's supposed to he's a very tiny skinny guy and he's supposed to be a threat to her so so maybe his solution was like i need to really push it and then i don't know how this how this turned out on set but in the film it comes across correctly as in this is the best action sequence in the film by mm-hmm. virtue of the fact that this is the one time in this movie that she's in, and you feel like Gina Carano's Mallory Kane, she's in peril, she's in danger, and then she comes out of it on top, literally and figuratively, and then all, and she's spent at the end. And I think this is the, uh, this is this is important to the to the character for her, how they get how they approach this and how they get this out of the scene. I don't know, I wasn't there. But if this is how he operates, as in like, I'm not going to tell her that if I'm going to smack yeah, her for I real. Mean, this is not good. This should have been discussed in the process. Like someone, like if, you, if you're going to spit in my face for real on, on the set, tell me in advance. Yeah. If I, you're going to say, you know. I mean, I mean, no, I thought. Things like that. I'm just going to say, what, I would think Soderbergh. Yeah, I just, I think Soderbergh has a strong relationship with his actors. That's part of what he's, he's done and he's been good at in his whole career. I I believe in my heart of hearts, this is blocked really specifically and clearly. There's probably an element um, to, and I think that Carano is definitely the alpha in the room. And this might be Fassbender, might be, you know, puffing up his chest a little bit to, you know, to, you know, go toe to toe. And, you know, maybe in in the engagement of the action, Maybe he's being rougher. I, I I don't know, but I have to think that this is blocked really well, and probably Carano is 
front and center for the blocking decisions and the moves they're going to do and how we end up in this position. And uh, Soderbergh probably has a lot of trust in her insight in in this because he's largely just holding the camera back in full medium views on on this and longer shots. But I think Carano is is sort of in, engaged in the blocking here. And if anything, Fassbender is just puffing up his chest. But but Soderbergh has gone through it very very clearly with everyone. I mean, how many takes do you think they did by the way for this? I would say only a couple. Like I don't know if they so would want to. How many hotel even... rooms do they have to room? I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah. How how many times do they want to redress a set? Yeah, right? I, I mean, you know? my, my my last my last thought on this sequence as well, and, and it's it's probably the the worst one to leave it on. But I think what what makes it even more so uncomfortable is what we've what we've discussed about the dynamic and, and the, the possibility of, of it being overstepped. I think we we all know where we are on that one. It, what makes it more uncomfortable is that how compelling it is as well, because it's absolutely it is terrifying, and I think the, the fact that that sequence was was delivered like that, and then you find out that there was there was real tension in that room, granted from the power dynamic, which again we, we spoke about. I do think that, that that's what makes that scene the way it is, and there's an uncomfortability about that because it's so sort of terrifying. But it's it's. Do you think it humanizes? Sorry, do you think it humanizes? Um, Mallory Kane a bit, like in in a way that this isn't escapist fluff. We're watching a very unique well, she's not scene a superhero. here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but do you think it humanizes her too? Like because just the way that it plays out, the way that it's shot, I think it's uh, sort of this you know, verite style. A sequence after that, I would say, is when she puts some makeup on when she leaves the hotel. That that that's yeah. a, that's a sequence where we've we've seen you know Arnold Schwarzenegger in a in a, in a to tear one of his eyes out and put put sunglasses put some makeup on. on. Yeah, we, we, we've seen <laughs> we've seen that we've seen aspects about that. But again, to, to reiterate um, Hillary's point earlier about what makes that more so uncomfortable is the fact that we see a person who is very vulnerable at that time apply makeup on, and it and it, it again it, it it pushes certain um, tones and certain uh, thematics about again a domestic violence. It, she she's she's trying not to look bruised. It's a very organic. But it's also what the one scene where it just it's so fleeting, but it humanizes to the point where this this is what we've just occurred here. It's they've seen someone brutalized in a way, and she goes through the absolute ringer in that. It's horrible to watch. Again, it it is overzealous, and so when she kicks him through like the actual door, like like the horse kick, bang, and he's straight through it. And then, but we why tie yeah, baby? Yeah, we great, we, we yeah. see them grapple. And um, she has absolutely no no uh, question about putting a bullet in his head at the end of it. Um, we do, oh, yeah. we do. We do I think f- that says a lot. Yeah, I do. Yeah, and I think there's more so uh, a subtext there as well, where she's like, "We need to get this over and done with." Really putting into it, and I think you can feel that you can feel the energy in the room, but there is a vulnerability, I would say, after the fact as well. But not not to digress your point as well, Randy. But I think that's the beginning to me where the film becomes slightly convoluted because there's one thing that this film doesn't do very well. It doesn't put setting anywhere. So you get an idea of where we are with colour grade, but we don't ever get a feeling for it. So Do you want so, an establishing shot no, of, it, of just like a landscape of Dublin? Well, well but but, Dublin. but the thing is that we're just, we're just <laughs> somewhere. It. But, it's just like we're just random sort of place in Dublin but because but, this, but, is, the, this is outside of yeah. Soderbergh. But, but he humanises, <laughs> but you, you said yourself that he humanises the feature to a point where we don't need all that excess shit. Well, that's fair yeah, enough. And it works. That's fair enough. Well, it yeah. does, but we're just in an unnamed town. In, in like, I don't know where we are at that point. To me, it looked like London, and then it, we, like, when we're actually in Dublin. Yeah, 
was Dublin. Have you not seen the tram? No, but it's but the, but it's like I don't know. Well, there's, there's trams in Manchester as well. Like, come on. You know? And then the, the police officers have guards. No, that's on the that's back. fair enough. But at that, at that time, I'm so in, I'm so immersed with the tension. I'm not looking out of the police, but. I just, I just felt that. There's... I mean, I just performed just the pavement alone. Oh like, God, have you heard? I mean, but then again, like, yeah. I've been like in Dublin. Yeah, exactly. Time, so I don't know. So, but but I, I just <laughs> thought when we arrived to the actual the actual old building, the the, the uh, where they go for the uh, the meeting, it's like the uh, the uh, is it the it's not the Roxborough, I know that, but it's something like that, isn't it? Because she she Rasborough. Yeah, because she reiterates it back into the in, into the car when she's she's um, bandaging her arm to to uh, to the other kid. And it's like, yes. but if we didn't have that, I'd have no idea what it was. It's the same as the Barcelona thing. You've got to have that through dialogue. You've got to be really careful how you watch. So I was like, I would, I would just, I don't want like an establishing shot, but like, well, maybe I do. Having an establishing shot. Well, they do say it's, yeah. it, there's an establishing shot in this sequence. It says upstate New York. Well, that, that that's in the sequence before though. No, it's just in the diner se- sequence, no? No. It comes up and that's- says... Dublin as well, doesn't it? And yeah, so it, he he does these title but, cards. It's just they're yeah, they're, they're like blink and you miss it, and you were just oh, like right. yeah, maybe, maybe I blinked and missed it then. But I you don't get like the uh, Eiffel Tower, Paris. Yeah, you, just, oh, yeah he doesn't the, dwell on this. He doesn't. Oh, the like, Dublin, that's like, big. Yeah, the Dublin, like, like the whole yeah, it's like a every, random yeah. hotel. No, Dublin, I, I'll, like, I'll, okay. I'll I'll i agree with you there. Then I do apologize. I I must have blinked and missed it, but I felt like it's very erratic where we put play stuff for me. I feel like especially when we get to the Barcelona, you get the sort of like the music video of all this yeah. sort of Sagrada Familia it's just he like Barcelona the, uh, it's just a random building in the winter he does the age old Sicario thing where we're in Mexico so it must be bright orange and <laughs> musk everywhere so well, he's, he's, he invented it he invented it yeah and also that, that's, that's going to be in my traffic. bottom three because that's the same beach that's in Greece <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah that's right. Yes. I didn't read about that. that I like, really couldn't tell. Not yeah. that it's matter, but whatever. But then, can I just quit one final thought on the sort of the fast bender fight? I just have to say, go on. Mm-hmm. Look, I think that just like saying, just trying to kind of defend Gina Carano as well. It's kind of maybe almost a little bit patronizing, as in like, oh, just poor her. She couldn't. She, she, she could kick everyone's. If she got angry on on set, she could ruin everyone's day, just single handedly. So all, all if if this is, this is not cool, all you say is this is not cool, and if you don't stop, I'm gonna punch you for real. Okay, she could do that, and I'm pretty sure she had she she had the agency to do it herself anyway. She was a she was a professional fighter who kicks people in in, in the stomach for a living. So I'm pretty sure she's she was well independent. So like, I, I don't think we have to jump to anyone's defense and saying like oh poor Gina, you know, just like I think she she handled 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 her handled herself very well. And then, you know, like if she goes at the end and says, like, look, this guy was an asshole, I'm pretty sure she doesn't lose sleep over it anyway. No, I, ju- I just think the point... She's moved on. I just no. think the, po- the point was that the dynamic was a little bit contemptuous, let's say, with, with what was being said outside of the of the circle, that's all. Yeah, and she broke a vase on his, on his face. She did, yeah. I don't think so, she's the, the victim so in this, like, but I it's think like it's... she needs our help. <laughs> no, no. It's it's not necessarily like a, a victim-perpetrator kind of thing. But the fact that it was mentioned. And I mean, and it was... I mean, I think the interview happened in 2012, so she had the benefit of hindsight, where it's like, I think when you're in a lot of these situations, um, you know, you're just trying to get through the day. I don't think she felt threatened, but she was just like, hey, like, this happened. And this guy... Like, I think she said, quote, like, that he's fucking crazy. When it comes to I, yeah. like, he loves the fighting shit and throwing me around. I, I also, I also don't think that happens on any of the set. I don't think if that, if that's um, Natalie Portman who bulks up to do that role or whoever, that doesn't happen. And I think that goes back to your point about meeting uh, 
fight, the nature the of the ego, beast. Yeah, right? Because definitely. he wouldn't yeah. have the same reaction to Natalie Portman because he was like, she's still petite and she's pretending to be. Or a fighter, she's a known but, person. But, I mean, and that's actually, yeah. this kind of goes back to a point that Randy was making quite a ways back, where it's like, okay, you're going into this film, and it's not exactly what we think it is because you know the usually women action heroes have a backstory or something. We also have an actor who doesn't have a backstory. Like, there's no familiarity with her or anything yeah. like that. Like, if you, okay, like, let's say if you plug, like, Stallone into a formula like this, and the story was exactly the same, it would be kind of standard, but there'd really be, like, that camaraderie or, like, familiarity with him as a performer to be like, oh, yeah, I know what this is. I'll just go along for the ride. But she didn't have that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, it's not only an audience thing, but it, I think it probably also played out somewhat in the production as well where it's like i don't know this person and i don't really owe them anything and i don't think they know what's right or wrong on set maybe i mean it happens in all sorts of iterations everywhere i've heard from people all over that little things happen um where you i don't know like someone doesn't know whether it's right or wrong or or whatever until much later afterwards so would you have the same would we have the same conversation if it was like conor mcgregor instead of her like also just like forget the backstory because you no, don't have the Stallone connection, no, right? Of course, like you have to stuff. pretend that they have a gay couple relationship and they infiltrate a party as a gay couple. But you know, I mean, like, yeah, that might happen in the future. But I mean, if people are like too rough during fights, even among men, they gain a reputation. That's why Steven Seagal is not very popular. Jean Claude Van Damme has had stories about him. It's like that guy hits the stunt people for real because he knows he can get away with it. And, you know, just they like to hurt people yeah, that's or whatever. A, so it doesn't matter whether yeah. it's male or female. It's like be a fucking professional. Again, we were, we're talking about the, the gender dynamics as well. The dynamics of the thing goes yeah. into that as well. And part of this is the stunt casting, just the fact that it's Gina Carano, right? And like mm-hmm. he's he's cast specifically this energy and this talent. And, you know, she's not an actor. So going back to the Natalie Portman thing, this isn't an actor she has to send away to to bulk up and to train like He's and again, I half wonder if he's relying on her expertise for some of the choreography here, to be honest, because this is a director who, despite all of his experience, he doesn't have a shit ton of experience in, you know, fistfight choreography. So did she do all of it? Oh, I imagine no, so. no, there was I don't a, know that she did any choreography, really, but I, no, I have to think on set he's relying did, um, on. Mm-hmm. She talked about it was the same. It was like a particular group. I can't remember the name of the company that hired them out, but they also did a lot of the fight sequences in 300. So Fastbender was familiar with them. So she didn't choreograph any of that stuff. It, they, mm-hmm. they didn't have a stunt team and everything like that to to build those sequences. Anyway, I, I, again, I derailed the conversation just by just just making a remark when we're still in the hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll I'll push it on. What what does everyone think of the non-linear stuff? We we've talked about the bouncing around, but let's talk about it specifically, and let's talk about the uh, the the scene in the diner further, and how we flash back to and to and <coughs> to and fro. Oh, like to, especially like to the car and things like that when she's explaining things. I mean, because yeah, like that's the present, right? And everything else yes. is everything else is flashback, and then you have flashbacks within flashback. Mm-hmm. Does this work for you guys? I think it cuts back too early. I think we should have gone longer. I, I, I thought again watching it a second time when she gets she 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 purposely does it through exposition as well, verbal exposition. We got I got a fake passport in London, went to Canada and, and dropped through, um, to north of the border. And I was like, and then we're back in the car, and I was like, oh, that that feels quick. That only feels like the first act. I, I felt like um she was on the way to drive to see uh, Kenneth at her, her father's, 
I think that that narrative, I think that would be better. It's purposely because it bloods us in more and we get more of a backstory. And then when we build up to it, we get the big, we get two big major action sequences after the fact. I think he probably just bottoms out a little bit too early. I don't think it detracts from anything. It's just a very interesting way to showcase narrative. And that's the only way where I see it, really. I don't, I don't see him, doesn't do much else for the story. The fact that it's, it's non at the beginning obviously works with a cold opening. It's inviting, it's tense, it's atmospheric, it's therefore immersive. And then we, we tell the story. That's age old by time. I don't think there's anything interesting mm-hmm. about it. But the fact that we he goes so long to then tell us that oh she's back she gets back to um, again Canada to then start the point there again, I was like okay, it just it was just an interesting element. But that's as far as I would go. I think it's surface level interesting for me. I don't think it changes anything. But I'm glad that he did it. I'm glad that there was a non lean attitude to it. again throwing back to that um, noir approach that you know he uh, do earlier. But the, the the flashbacks are interesting. That's the one thing I'm like, I've got, I sort of, because they're, they're then construed to make information through exposition relevant in a sequence that A, we've just watched, or B, have, have yet to come. And every time they came on, I was like, I already know this because I can piece it towards together myself, uh, speci- specifically towards the end of, again, Antonio Banderas is walking down the, um, the, the, the hallway with the guy that we find out who was at the, uh, the party. So... I was always just waiting for it, so it just feels like he's 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 uh, holding the hand of the audience at times. But because of how, but visually, yeah, it's it's, it's always visually. compelling. It's always compelling, though. It always is. I, I, it's not like he he spends like like here's a sequence of uh, of people laying down information. This is Antonio Banderas. His job is this and this, and he works for this agency and that agency. Like this is not Ocean's Eleven, where you know, like you have, you know, um, well, yeah, but like in Matt Damon just being introduced <laughs> in, with with like a freeze frame this is him and even just like list this dossier as well just like no, no, I, I, li- just, I like that I like here's a conversation yes I, I like that and also as well it doesn't detract from what we're watching on screen it doesn't detract from momentum but another thing that it does is that it allows us to focus on the fact that this is incredibly shady what we're watching because they're not governments like the CIA the three letter words yes I'm sure but then that there's nothing there to suggest that this is the CIA it's the NSA it's the FBI so it, I mean, it, Michael Douglas works for one of those, yeah, but it doesn't matter which exactly. one. Exactly, right? and I think that works for more power to the film because, in a way, it makes it more sort of frightening because it's an unnamed government agency working on on part of the government. So I like that aspect of it, but I do think um, it's interesting how we're introduced to these people as such, and then later on it's ultimately revealed of who these people are without giving us specific instances of who they work for, what did they do. We, we get that, but we get that through genre convention as well. So it's not like he's making incredible strides here. He's just cutting out certain fat to get us from the middleman but because we can work that ourselves with the power of genre convention. That might be a skill upon itself, but I don't think it's a major aspect to this feature where it's like, you have to see it because of that, if that makes any sense. If this is straightforward and linear, does it work almost as well? Or hmm. just chronologically? No, no because it, like so. you don't get people's motivations, right? You need to kind of have these sort of like, did he mention anything about Barcelona? And then this is when you find out what, because it, it in, introduces stakes and intrigue. Uh, if all unfolds linearly, then just it's less interesting. The, the, only, the only sequence I can think where it would become incredibly detrimental if he didn't do so is the diner sequence at the beginning because of the reasons yeah. I've stated multiple times. It's just exquisitely done in the fact that it gets everybody's attention and breath. That coming at any other aspect of the film um, 
to me is like, uh, if you see the, and this is going to come up later, if you see her running up the stairs and throwing down certain things on the staircase first, then watching that sequence, I think that's like, oh, okay. No, the dino scene has to come first. This has is the to. hook. Yes, that's what I mean. Yeah. That's a perfect but example also, of like, what it works. The twist is him. Like his character, he seems like such a total asshole when mm-hmm. he shows up. And you see what he's doing. But then as this time goes on, magic. you start realizing like who he is and that he's actually been, been manipulated and lied to. That was a and big surprise he, for me as well, how that's, yeah. the, how that's depicted, because yeah. I thought he was, because he's introduced as the atypical air, air prick and how it yes. sort of humanizes him to a point where he, he's actually just doing the job and he's probably having that mm-hmm. old day of masculinity where it's like, I could beat, I could beat the show. Because she's quite aggressive. She's not passive. Well, she is. She's passive aggressive till when he arrives because she's seen shit like him all the time. You can tell she's seasoned. She's a veteran of it. Yeah. So when he walks through, big bullet, that's great. You can't smoke in here. Like there's a there's a dynamic there, and he and again this film's full of dynamics of gender dynamics, as as most sort of sort of stuff is. It's it's greatly populated in his work, and um, she 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 gravitates towards him when they have their their sexual encounter as well. She's sort of the one that initiates it, um, and she can t- takes control of that. Um, the only sequence where she doesn't is when he uh, manipulates that, and he he again he, he he's the aggressor, and she fucking nails that straight away. It just doesn't happen on my watch. So, I, 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 again, it has to work on that front as well because as it gets revealed, as what Hillary said, it's like people are more so manipulated just than the, the, the convention of what we think, mm-hmm. we think it is. So it works on multiple levels. So, again, you wouldn't be able to have that anywhere else as well and for what Jakob said with a hook. Um, but everything else, I think, is free game. Just like the girlfriend experiences, how you manipulate that doesn't matter because we get to from A, B to C. Whereas here, you have to have air. You have to have air, but you may have to have B in air, but we'll still get to see at the end. Um, well, it's a, well, it's a new wave film again. Like, yeah. You know there's an A, B, and C. You don't necessarily have to see them in the right order. And you may not even have to see the B. You can infer the B. Mm-hmm. It's just so, as long as it fla- flows in the right direction and you can follow it, fine. Yeah. It's kind of, you know... It's like, whoa. Is that Godard who said this? Like, a, a movie has to have a beginning, a middle, and the end, and doesn't matter in which order it is. So, you know, mm. works. <laughs> Probably is. Like, uh, Soderbergh has said that uh, usually before starting directing a project, you'll go back in the days before uh, development, pre production, and watch some Godard for some inspiration. So I'm telling makes, you. <laughs> makes sense. Um, do you guys like the ending of this? Ooh. Yeah. Does it come? Does it come? <laughs> Does it come together nicely? It, it, it surprisingly it does. I mean, it does get a little bit muddled before the the final act. I'd say like it loses things a little bit after the the scene in New Mexico where she goes to her father's place and he's played by Bill Paxton, which is I think was quite wonderful casting. I totally believe that <laughs> um, he would that be a crime be his writer. Da- and, yeah, he's really yeah, the, and that really she's good also casting. yeah, he's really good casting. Yeah, it was supposed yeah. to be. Um, it was supposed to be Dennis Quaid, and he wasn't able to do it. And I think he would have been fine. But there was something about Paxton where it really, really worked. Yes, um, agreed. He's very, he's very yeah. homely, isn't he? He's, he's like, he's like warm bread on a cold day with soup. He's just yeah. It was, it was, it's great. So, but it's there was a little bit of murkiness. Like, okay, so McGregor shoots Tatum to make him shut up because he's about to. He's figuring out that he's a piece of shit, that he's a fuckwad or whatever. And then he like and, runs off, and then he like hangs out outside the house and like looks up. 
do you know what shot I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> and I'm just like, so you're, you're not in a car? Like, how are you going to escape or do anything? And then it just kind of cuts to being in Mexico, which is a little bit murky, but the payoff is just, is uh, there the final fight and then um, the the very end end scene with Banderas, I mean, which it, it's, it's clever and it's also like a little bit funny. Because like yes. the, for, the last yeah. word you hear is him saying shit. <laughs> I think the first word you hear is Yes, yes, shit. yeah. That's the tone I like about Soderbergh as well. I don't need slapstick. I like a sense no. of humor where it's like we're in with it and it's never degrading. It's never like, oh, you didn't get that joke. It's like, it's just like fun. But I, I agree mm-hmm. with Hillary. Like you have that scene in New Mexico and it's like, you feel like that's the scene. And again, he subverts expectations by taking us out of there. He takes us to New Mexico and it's the same old shit of ego where this guy thinks he can't be, can't be touched anymore. Goes on a, on a jog on his own. And I'm glad that they didn't put up much of a fight. Again, this is the same thing with John Wick in the first film where mm-hmm. I think Chad Stahelski was like, we realised... No we- one killed their dog. Don't no, compare no, this no, movie no, to No, no, no. I mean, I mean in the, in the, the idea of, of um, choreographer. They choreographed a fight between the villain and John Wick last about five, ten minutes. And, he, and I think he said in an interview, was like, we couldn't really do that naturally. I mean, we could do, we could get away with it. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Vodka's really strong. Um, he was. He was like, um, uh, we couldn't really get away I'm with it. Come. Oh God! Anyway, I hope that's still in there. Um, he was like, if I may continue, he was like, um, we could have got away with it, but it would have been a breach of our audience's trust because throughout this film, we see bruises, we see cuts, we see him fight multiple people to to almost death ends, and these people were trained to go against him, and then we have a guy who who hasn't got the seasoned ability no. and we're going to let them dance and i and i like the idea of you know it, it could you know it may, it works for a finale set piece but it, it it sort of goes against the trust of your audience and i think he does Soderbergh does a really good thing here where he doesn't let mcgregor be the uh, big baddie in the fact that they can take each other mm-hmm. on especially not what we saw with the fastbender sequence but we allow mcgregor's mm-hmm. unfortunate demise be one of his own she relents and lets lets him take well i'll leave you there and, and she doesn't have to do a fatal blow like she does with a fastbender right. thing, and it's a, it's a completely different dynamic to the sequence we saw before, which has the most um, antagonistic momentum. So it was a nice change of pace. Although I can see why people would be like, "Ah, that feels underwhelming," but it ultimately comes down to it felt natural to me, and I think that's yeah. perfect where it ends. Uh, it's I took notes on that. He's that particular villain, and I thought about John McFort as well because I've seen it more recently. Mm-hmm. I know there's countless examples like this where you have a villain who keeps making people do their dirty work and they can't even fight. Yes. They can't, like they yeah. can't even last like for 30 seconds. And it, speaking Don't of choreography, it, the fight is, um, <laughs> the fight is humorous in some ways. The part where he runs, he keeps running away. <laughs> God, that's right. <laughs> okay. So the part where he keeps running away and he <laughs> like goes to a rock face and he thinks he can climb the rock face and she just yeah. like pulls him away from it. There was just moments in that that were really, really funny because it's like, yeah, what did he think was going to happen if you piss off somebody who kills for a living and they catch up with you? What I mean, what did he think was going to happen? And so in some ways it was satisfying because like, no, he doesn't know how to fight. He's that stupid guy who's on the phone all the time telling people what to do. Yes. And he just thinks that power mm-hmm. is power. He's the manager. Yeah, he's the manager. It also, gives, it also gives a power to her as well where the fact that if he put much of it up a fight, it was almost like 
him as a as a person deserve to go toe to toe. It's just not the case, like Hillary said. Mm-hmm. This is a person who's nowhere near on on her her way of length whatsoever. So it didn't give it jurisdiction, um, or or justify the fact that that he should be able to go toe to toe to her. Um, but it, it it again it is like this thing. He he knows full well that the audience are thinking as well. He's very much in touch with his audience, and the fact that he he devises that way. He, he throw she she grabs it throws him down. It is that tongue and cheek where like what did he think he was going to get away with? But I think that ultimately serves his yeah. character as well because what did he ever think was he, he was going to cut one of his own out to make himself rich? It's like what um, it's what what uh, I think one of the characters of Michael Douglas says they don't really yeah. know what he was going to go do. He had, with all that money down there. What was he going to do? He's you know he's lost everything. Some people mm-hmm. just want to watch the world burn. So it, it was it was very much in in, in touch with his. To, with his character, but I also really like the uh, Gina Carano when she just sit, sits there at the roof, um, falls down, looks at him, and he goes, "Shit!" and we cut to black. To me, that's perfect. well. She doesn't like loose ends. Yeah. I mean, if that if exactly. it had been a different movie, she might have said that out loud, like, "I don't like loose ends," you know, and people yes. would be like, "Yay!" Clap. Yeah. But that's not the kind of movie yeah. it is. No, no, Freeze remove ho- remove Hollywood from it. Oh, yeah. totally. I was waiting. I, I, appreciated I, I was that. waiting for it to say "Hey, Wyatt," and it cut to black. I was like, "Yay!" Everyone like, but no. That's it. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, but I'm but I'm glad he didn't do that. I'm glad he didn't he didn't. No, and and McGregor thought he talked about the fights, and he said that that he there was a lot of it that he found really really funny, and he was really excited too because in the original cut he didn't fight her. I don't know what the original ending was, and he felt kind of cheated. He's like, well. I, he demanded like, a fight. He didn't demand a fight, but he was excited about having a fight with her because it just it, it made sense as far as like how she communicates or like how she overcomes obstacles, which is very physical. And I guess that wasn't going to happen. Maybe she just caught up to him and shot him or something. But um, the fact that they fought and um, he just keep like he says he keeps running away and he's a coward and he can't and he just like whines and he like tells her everything right away. And he's just like this really pathetic person. And the the whole reason why he's getting rid of her in the first place is very nebulous as well. It's just kind of like, oh, she's everyone's hiring me for the to get work, but they just want to get to her, and I don't like that. And maybe she's gonna leave, so I'm gonna have her killed. It's like, dude. It's also mentioned that they used to date as well in the film. Yeah, that's really weird. Well. It's a fractured male ego again. It doesn't he says um because when she, when he goes to a flat he, he makes mention of something where I'll take you on holiday but he, he says it in like that he says a, a British word in a very Americanized way is it Ibiza he says oh, oh yeah. that's true oh, yeah, yeah. He, he always struggles with yeah. that what's my fourth that accent. Yeah. his <laughs> accent in this is pretty good but I've seen some he can do a southern accent pretty well yes but he can when he first started doing American mm. accents they were so bad I mean yeah. I. I like his work as an actor, but like him in Black Hawk Down, it's like painful yeah. to hear him talking. I think the, the man who stare at goats is an equal one where it's like, uh, <laughs> this is a. Oh, yeah. I've blocked that movie out. Yeah. Like, what did we talk the about that last week? And I was like, oh boy, no. Yeah. I'm going to forget this right away. Yeah, that was a difficult one, wasn't it? Um, Didn't quite McGreg- work. McGregor was on, uh, I think, Soderbergh's hit list for a long time uh, mm-hmm. to work with because McGregor was in that film Night Watch. Yes, uh, that's right. And, and he that produced was, it. That was written by Soderbergh, uh, going way back. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. You know, so that was. Do you know, Randy, it's Cool to see this finally happen. Just yeah. on that front as well, it's interesting that we we talk about two actors who are performing with him essentially for the first time here. One is Channing Tatum, and one is Ewan McGregor. Yet only one goes on to star in quite a few more films with him. 
Um, I would never have thought it would be Channing Tatum in that moment, in that screening room. I would have always chosen McGregor. But it's very interesting because Channing Tatum's it, it is matured into and I a think, really interesting director and, and an actor as yeah. well. I think like Soderbergh gravitates towards energies, I think, in people, right? Like there's some people that he jives with and, uh, you know, he probably just jives with, with Tatum, you know, like it, you probably well, wouldn't be the actor that you pick. Like it's, it's weird to me. It'll be interesting when we talk about uh, when he f- finally works with Meryl Streep, because he does such great work elevating actors like, you know, Clooney getting the most out of them, leading uh, Julia Roberts to an Oscar, all these non-professionals, where he's putting them in positions to succeed. He's working with them in, you know, the best possible way. And then he gets Meryl Streep. And I, I haven't seen those films, but I understand like they're not her best work. So it's, it's interesting. He, he just seems to have That's a casual a vibe with people. And uh, he can, if you're on the same wavelength as Soderbergh, then you're going to, you know, jive well, like Don Cheadle. There's, there's another one. I, I, I think also don't, don't mention the accents. Yeah, I think yeah, I think another another aspect of it is though. I think at that point in his career, I think McGregor has worked with multiple different auteurs. Had the issue of working with Boyle on a a, a, a Boyle as a <clears throat> as a partnership and it going sort of tits creek. So I yes. think then he wanting to work with multiple different directors, which he has done. He's worked with with quite an array. Two notable. I'm going to say two notable directors there, but I'm not going to. I'm going to bring that up for another. Oh yeah, yeah, I actually know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, so he he's worked with certain authors, and I think sitting in a room with with um, a person who's essentially done the independent market, done done the blockbuster, and now wanting to do his own things. I think when you have the same conversation with Channing Tatum, who's just about rising up, who would probably go on to do GI Joe. I think is it this is it two years before or is it? Would you do? I it thought again? the GI Joe was maybe it was 2010, maybe it was 2009. Yeah, I, I thought it was before. 20 Rise of the Cobra was 2009, and I think. You've got someone who is passionate about making a certain film called Magic Mike and is wanting to, to go. I think it's a perfect relationship with Soderbergh at the right time. Um, and I mean, yeah. thank God he never did Gambit yeah. for Fox because that would have just thrown him to the dogs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one thing I was going to weigh in as far as like Tatum, I think people did in 2011, people didn't even fully understand what he was capable of. Yes. And I mean, and I was one of those people too. Agreed. I, I didn't think he was horrible. Or anything like that, but it's like I haven't seen the Step Up movies. I didn't see the GI Joe movies or anything like that, so I just didn't know. I think it was this film and Twenty One Jump Street that yes. turned mm-hmm. me around. The scene where he's on drugs in Twenty One Jump Street and is like doing backwards somersaults <laughs> and um, banging symbols together and writing for like a million times. I was like, oh, I get it. I was like, this is why people are hiring him. He's actually talented. I think more to, funny. He looks a certain way, but there's more to him than than people think. And I was one of those people. I I, fe- I, I felt the same way in the same era of Zac Efron and Robert Pattinson. I, mm-hmm. I I remember Zac Efron when when Matthew Vaughn was going to direct the, the the seven Star Wars film, he was touted to go along with it, and I was like, this is sacrilege. And it's the same thing that happened with Robert Pattinson after the Twilight era, where Robert Pattinson yeah. went to go work in the independent market just purely to get back the ideology of working. Um, and you know, gra- boots on the ground mentality. And I think Efron did it in a different way. Ultimately, kept in that circle. Um, and I think it is it, the perception is is a very difficult thing to 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 sort of get rid of as well. And I, I'm I'm the biggest person now. Not so much. I'll you know, I don't mind anyone uh, to do anything. I remember Henry Cavill was cast as um, Superman. I remember Heath Ledger cast as um, as 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 the Joker. I remember being in the back of the yes. car. It was announced on the radio. Yeah. It was sacrilege. What, ten, I ten thought things it was I, weird. Yeah, ten things I hate I about you, Gary. Yeah, and I think I think 
I think once you get, uh, I'm not, I'm not bringing you into this scenario, but I think once you get older, I think um, mm-hmm. you sort of realise that 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 I think everybody's wanting to sort of push the boundaries of perception as well. So I can understand mm-hmm. that you know we should never hold people accountable. You know, there's loads of stuff that's yeah. been strange the casting, but I think Channing Tatum's really evolved to understand the material goes first. I mean, look at him in Logan. Look, it's brilliant. Again, I was going to bring Ad- that up. Adam Drive, but Randy wanted well. to say something. Go on, I sorry. feel like I keep cutting off Randy. <laughs> no, no, no. I just I had only one other question. So finish your thought, and then I was I had one other. I was going to. Uh, oh no! The just that he's good in Logan Lucky. That's all that all I have to say. That I love seems that like film. I love that the, film. Actually, my favorite sequence in that film is the the prison scene where they yell about Game of Thrones. That almost seems like <laughs> yes. it's not a Soderbergh scene at all. Same. He's like, he's like, that's bullshit or whatever about yeah. how there's like no book or whatever. I, I remember. I, I swear to God, I was the only person who went to the the cinema with my sister to watch that at the Huddersfield Odeon. There's only like three of us in there, and it was two mm. of us at the back. And there's a sequence where he crushes the car into the gas station, and like, he, and he like pays for something. I would think I was I would laugh so loud, and I think everyone. The only two people in there I thought it was nuts. Just, Everyone, like the other two people. Yeah, you could hear well, you could hear me echo through. <laughs> Everyone was like, "Fucking hell!" Oh, that's great. Someone like really losing in a theater at the right moment. Can yeah, really enhance the experience. Yeah. So. Definitely, I love that film. Same that as was. the Nice Guys. Ryan Gosling was another one. I think oh, for yeah. me, I was like Ryan Gosling, the Notebook guy. But wow. Wow. I, I don't know. Him? I have a really complicated relationship with Ryan Gosling. That could be an entire podcast. Oh, wow. Like, you've known him for a while, have you? I have. No, actually, so at one point, someone in a distant family said, like, well, you know that we're related to him. And I was like, I don't care. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'll, there's some performances of his that I really, really like, but a lot of times, like, he's phoning it in. Like, he's just coasting, and it drives me fucking crazy. Oh wow! I do find it's a, he's a weird guy to have become a big star. Yes, he's the yes. antithesis of that as well. He's got social anxiety. He hates it. He's a family man. Hmm. He, 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 he's no, a, I have nothing against him as a person. Oh no, no, of, co- of course, of course, yeah. No, but I think I think it is interesting that his dynamic is sort of the antithesis of what we would expect for a uh, rock and roll or Richard Harris in his day, isn't it? It's, oh yeah, I, I think, I'm kind of glad that era's over. Yeah, agreed. I I, th- I think he he's he's um. He's definitely someone who was who was taken a backseat and probably made all the right choices in a, in a life that he was set up to perhaps make the wrong ones as a Disney child. There's not many who will make it out of the child mm-hmm. actor star. Yeah. So well, Natalie Portman was right there with him. Yeah, there's there's probably a few. Christian yeah. Bale's another one, but again, there's this old. Well, not to get back into, but Sarah Polly. You you read about Christian well. Bale yeah. in the early two thousands, and I think you may be mortified. Mm-hmm. Oh, just the early, I'm thinking like Shaft, or that's post-American Psycho and stuff like that. Rain of Fire, yeah. Oh, I know. I have a great riff tracks of Rain of Fire. La- that, Laurel speaking Canyon. of method, oh. Matthew McConaughey was super method on that stupid dragon movie. Yeah, Rain, Rain of Fire, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Laurel Canyon, he made a lot of shit in those. those, those. Equilibrium's a classic, though, but he made a lot of stuff, very strange things to yes. pay the, to pay the bills. He found his way back, though. He, right. he got back in the mainstream. Anyway, all right, I'll, I'll pull things back to my to my last the last thing on my radar that I wanted to talk about is there's a scene in here that we haven't mentioned and there's a car chase. Oh God! Which I think is sort of interesting in a way. But what do you mm-hmm. guys think of this uh, this car chase here, where um, basically the cops are are following Carano and what was his what's the actor's name? Michael Michael Angarano. 
Angarano, um, Michael Angarano. Yeah. yeah. So there's a reason why I haven't been mentioning this scene. Oh, but, okay. Know. All right. Maybe we'll get into it in a second. <laughs> yeah, we will. Does anyone have any thoughts? I've on been it? holding this in my back there's, pocket. There's some elements I it's liked. Amazing. Um, I mean, it's it's not the trope I like the most, but I did think it was interesting. The scene where they they finally apprehend her, they are back in the car, and she's like, "This is what's happening. You can't do this." You're going to die. And they immediately tell her to shut up and then they're immediately killed. <laughs> I found that really, really This funny. is like the insomnia moment where it's just like she's <laughs> telling them exactly what's going to happen and they disregard her. I think one of them says like, her because she's just like, like, you cannot be a spy because you're a woman. I was just like, exactly. I think one of them says like, like some like female, like, like sweetie or like, or darling or I can't remember. One of them says something kind of like, yeah, shut call, up, lady. They call her or sweet, no, sweetie or darling. Like, yeah, they just very it's darling. Yeah. They're very patronizing. Darling, yeah. And the second yeah. they stand out in front of the car, I'm like, you're going to get machine gunned. And that's immediately what happens. Immediately. It's a very awkward um, shot scene, though, isn't it? Like the, the whole car chase when so they apprehended. That's like, the point that I found interesting, which is why I wanted to ask about it. And I, I think that it's a very willful choice by Soderbergh to shoot this in a way that you wouldn't normally shoot it again, remove the Hollywood from it and everything's from the back seat. And I even half wonder if it's sort of the, the fury thing, the, from the Ipcris files where just put the camera and capture the action and it'll, it'll make sense. So put the camera in a, a position that you normally wouldn't see a car chase from. So the back seat. So anyway, like entire segments of this car chase very little of it is is exterior to the vehicle and a lot of it's just the back seat so anyway i find i found that interesting i was just sort of wondering what your takes do, were. do you think randy on that point then do you think it's a sake it's a sake of sake case to do that then do you think it's it's him like we, we can't craft this as a dynamic that's conventional let's just do something else to make it look strange but get the same results don't you think yes for me, I'm like, oh, okay, but that to me seems like we're going to make it um, artistic for artistic merit rather than to serve the film. I think he could, like, he could just put put the uh, camera on the side of the door, put the camera inside the. There's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot you can do with a, a chase. I remember someone, I can't remember who it was, was like, you can never do chase sequences after <laughs> William Freakin did it in French Connection. I think that's bullshit. I think you can you can do, look at Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher's. Um, by Chris McQuarrie. I have one word for you, Ronin. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, Matrix Reloaded, but anyway, we'll get on to that. Um, I think it's so simple. Yeah. So the dynamic, it just has to be advantageous. It has to be, it has to look in a certain way, but it just has to have momentum. You can always, uh, Ronin's a classic, but Jack Reach is as simplistic as you can get. Like, it's a guy, and even mm. the car cuts out, the whole little gimmick of it. And here, when it crashes at the back, this is it, we're going to have to give up. It's like fun and tongue-in-cheek. But I just felt like, uh, I think you can do more with that. But again, it's not detrimental to the overall film anyway. It's not like a car chase elevates it at all, is it? Because it just, it never deviates from yeah. the whole arc anyway. Yeah. I think it, I think it's just interesting. Um, and I think that it's it's mm-hmm. completely the choice to to do it this way. You're probably right. There, you can do more, like you can get more coverage from exterior and still have, you know, like a, a the lot same of thing, the yeah. footage from inside, right? Um, but, but anyway, like I, I just... I was sort of fascinated by the choice is sort of my my only take. And yeah, it's not detrimental to to anything because it's just a brief scene too. No, I, right? like I, it's, it's, I agree with you. Car chase it's isn't meant to be super special. It's very interesting. You know, if yeah. it were a Hollywood film, it's there would be no deer. It's anti-Hollywood. If it were Hollywood, there'd be no deer. It would have exploded. No, <laughs> yeah. the, the deer is kind of one of those things, one of the few things that's kind of just like, okay, well, he's kind of tonally blowing stuff out of proportion occasionally just to make a joke. 
But the idea of just putting a camera in the car and just shooting it in one continuous take, that's just a measure of we're shooting. This is grounded in his mind. As in like what we're interested in is these, these two characters. So you're pretending this is for reals. Like the camera is just there. Mm-hmm. You're just happening to be there. So I think this helps the realism. No, I, I, so I, if, I, if you were cutting between this and that and whatever, so you still know that you're in a Hollywood film. Whereas in here, you can kind of sort of convince yourself that this shit's happening. No, I, 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 yeah. I wouldn't disagree with Randy at all. I think it's just very interesting how he does it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Just very interesting how he would, his mind would work on crafting that sequence in the way it did. I think that I think I would agree with Randy there. But again, it's, it's nothing detrimental. It's, it's well done. It's mm. fun. Mm-hmm. It could like. be just as simple that he he doesn't know how to shoot car chases. Oh, stop! So he just puts a camera in the car mm. and he's just like, I think well, this will I mean, work, it, it, and then I just like accidentally, this is just genius. I, <laughs> I think well, at this point, it's not that he's he's you know no. he's he's caught up to his ability to do. I mean, he watches movies, right? So he knows exactly yeah, so, what not yeah. to do. And I mean, yeah. it's it can be effective in a car. I mean, I bring up the sequence. In, I bring up the sequence in Children of Men. That's mm, all in yep. the car, mm-hmm. like that yep. scene is incredibly fucked up like and you're in, you're just in a car now that was a lot more technical like technically complicated um and the camera's moving and stuff like that but you can have chase scenes or bad things happening where you're just within a car and it can be mm-hmm. effective and maybe he did it just for simplicity's sake or whatever but you can, it's a choice it's a valid choice people have done it before perhaps that's yeah. see here for, this kind of is, sorry just for a second sure. it's just to kind of all the children of men just say the, the I think this is an important sort of comparison to make because in Children of Men, for instance, camera just draw te- draws attention to itself. Like you, un- you understand, like wow, what was happening? How are they doing it? And and then this is when you real you're supposed to realize you're in a movie, and then you're supposed to admire what's happening. Whereas in here, you can you like it's set up so that you forget you're in a movie. You're in a car. Mm. Anyway, just barged yep. in. Jack? No, I, I think I was going to agree with it. I think it's just the fact that he made it because it was just the simplest way to do it, but also limit the idea of overly complicating the aesthetic, maybe maybe as a remark to Quaron. I, I don't know, maybe as a remark to other people. Um, you think this is his, like, this is how <laughs> you put a camera in a car, Alfonso. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is like, are you watching? Yeah. <laughs> and have to be and so I paid a fiver for the rig. Yeah. And he's just like, I paid a fiver for the tripod. <laughs> I think he's em- he's emulating filmmakers from the 60s that he's sort of grooving with and we've seen this before like the limey is very much that and i think those filmmakers had more limitations than soderbergh probably did in a way but i agree anyway. yeah. like godard would, would famously just like just tape tape the camera to the boot of, to the uh, bonnet of the car and just drive around paris with it and that would just work right yeah, yeah it's godard that's why see no, it's just like, because I mean, in the 60s in France, they didn't know how to shoot on, on location. So whatever Godard was doing, just like, can you actually shoot a film in a hotel room instead of a soundstage? How dare you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, you know, that's Unless there are any other thoughts, you don't have any topics of conversation, um, speak now or forever hold your peace. Hold your peace. <laughs> okay. All right, let's go into final thoughts. Hillary, what do you think of this? Um, oh man, and we're looking I mean, for a star rating too. Are we looking for a star rating? Well, I've given yeah. it four stars consistently every time I've, wow. I've seen it. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty solid for. I mean, considering like how it's crafted, uh, the kind of performer that's you know at the center of the story, the fight scenes, just the fight scenes on their own, 
I mean, like I said at the beginning, that's the reason why I would show it to people because people would just be like, <gasps> you know, like they just, they're in shock with some of the, the moves and the brutality that you're seeing with, um, you know, what the actors are playing out. Um, but as far as like final thoughts, I have a few things written down. Um, you know, like we talked about realism and like how this kind of fits into the spy genre, the action genre. So I won't go into that. Um, and that, you know, it's a very, one thing I've forgotten about is that it's a very visual film. There's not a ton of dialogue for some sequences, so you do need to be paying attention. This is not a, a it's, I think there's a low ratings for it right now on Letterboxd, but sometimes I have to take a lot of those reviews with a grain of salt um, yes. when it comes to certain movies, because it's like, well, this is someone People who's watching it on their, they're on their phone, the whole yeah. movie, and they're not paying attention. Mm -hmm. And um, there was one movie in particular, you guys may have heard about it, Hush. Um, yes. Yeah. It's a Flanagan film, and a yeah. lot of people um, was that write... the Netflix original about this sort of deaf lady? Yes, it's not not an original. Yes. No, oh, yeah. um, I don't know if it's Netflix original, but oh, no, right. it's... maybe I just watched it, it, it on is, Netflix. It, then. it is the right film, okay. Jacob. It is the right film. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm talking okay. about the Mike Flanagan one, which is about a deaf woman in her house. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's okay. the one. Okay. That's the one. It's pretty solid. Um, but people would write and be like, "Oh yeah, like her boyfriend attacks her at the house," and people would be like, "That's not her boyfriend." In fact, they just a guy. It's just a guy. And they're like, they show her boyfriend in several visuals at the beginning, and like they made it very clear that you cannot be mistaken as the boyfriend is black. So it's like, there's no way you can mistake, like, oh, it's it, maybe her boyfriend is um, breaking in. And finally, you know, these people were saying, like, no, it's her boyfriend. And someone's like, did you watch this while you were on your phone? And then the answer and is then, yes. And then they, and then I've all, seen how people watch movies these days. But um, they didn't, they, like, there was no responses after that. And I think with Haywire, it, it is a purely visual film. It's probably was meant to see, be seen in the cinemas, but no one went and saw it. Um, and I think the last thing I can say, because we talked about this at the beginning, is that is about the dubbing. I know Lara San Giacomo's voice pretty well. Um, I watched Just Shoot Me a lot when I was a kid, and I still have um, tapes of it somewhere. So it was funny. Once I learned that she dubbed it, I was like, oh, she dubbed a lot of it. It is. Mm -hmm. oh, so it, it is It is definitely, you know, you'd say it's 90% dubbed then. Um, a like a lot of the lines, um, I'm just like, it's, it's her voice. It totally I mean, feels a, it. Oh, yeah. wow. It's a very distinctive voice. Uh, so right. they might I have. I thought it was like just they, they ADR'd heavily because oh, it kind like of that. feels like it's out of place yeah. as well. I, I thought heard that about as well. pitch. And then I would watch interviews with Carano and I'm like, there's nothing wrong with her voice or anything like yeah. that. They maybe just want to get different reads or something like that. Maybe she wasn't available. Could know. you imagine if she had like an Austrian accent? Or if, if her voice this is her, this is her Hercules in New York. <laughs> oh yeah, God. Goodness. Like um, there's that it's in the movie Rotor. The um, just not. By yeah, the horses. The, um, yeah, the one guy who's the main guy in it. He's completely dubbed. I think there's only one line where you hear his his real voice, and you're like, oh, it's actually really high pitched. So they had to get rid of that. Have someone come in oh. and redub his entire part. That's a terrible thing when turning up the premiere with your parents, isn't it? Oh yeah. I need to, oh, yeah. I need to I need to change my letterbox review. Like this is like okay. Well, this is a Steven Soderbergh's *The Born Unto Matum*, and it's also Gina Carano's *Hercules*. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if people know like enough about the production, they'll probably get the joke. But um, yeah, it just comes to show what happens, and it was really good dubbing. Sometimes it's really bad stuff. Mm. Like there's a lot of drug commercials where I can tell the actors are dubbed yeah. while explaining stuff, yeah. and it's awful. It happens in Europe a lot. Uh, do you know uh, Hillary? Do you know what Juice Media um, guys are? Juice Media on YouTube. There's this YouTube channel called Juice Media where they make this, these sort of like fake satirical ads. They're Australians. Oh, 
Oh, I'll have to look uh, that up. And those, yeah, they're brilliant. Just come to Papua <laughs> New Guinea, and they're just like take the piss out of the governments of all places. But the the idea I have, they they have these very attractive women, um, mm-hmm. just and they have them overdubbed with the same woman as well. Oh uh, So it kind of has the sort of the feel of like an American, like a medicine ad. <laughs> it's great. Oh God. No, well, it's perfect. Um, like it's, yeah. I piss myself every time I watch a new video. Let's look them up. Um, but also, like the last final thought I have, um, and this is, might be a little confusing, is that the you're not supposed to know everything about the plot or whatever, um, and you have to infer a lot on your own. But um, I do feel like the missing piece that we haven't talked about is the the Chinese whistleblower who gets who gets murdered. Mm-hmm. And some of the places I read, I, it wasn't immediately clear to me. Maybe I like blinked and missed some stuff. But that he was reporting on a human trafficking story in China, and, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that um, mm. the Matthew Kasovitz character was the one who was running it, and that's why he ended up right. um, getting taken out. And that's an, it is a pretty compelling reason for like why all this is happening. So it's not just something stupid, and it makes me feel horrible for the journalist. Of course, his entire story arc is just hell. <laughs> I remember I read that it was it was based on Kim Jong Un's brother. And then, yes. like, two years later, it actually happened. Yeah, the yeah. way that he got taken out, there's a documentary about that called Assassins. That's definitely spies? worth watching yeah. it. With they were not spies. Agents. No, they were just plants. They were regular people. Oh, right, okay. They got yeah. released eventually because they had been manipulated into being in, a like, a prank show, and they ended up killing someone. Yeah, I remember reading like, about that when it happened. Oh. It's terrifying. It was, it was really, really frightening. Yes, so. terrifying, yeah. <laughs> That's scary, isn't it? Wow. Scarier than haywire. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jack, what are your final thoughts? Um, I've always felt compelled to this film would be a strong three star and uh, when I first watched it back in 2012 as, as I mentioned we need to get a medic in here <laughs> I haven't finished you gobshite I haven't finished at all um, is, there, is there a doctor around? <laughs> I, I remember sort of thinking the same thing about it being three star and I watched it um, not so long ago I think I watched it on television and I really enjoyed it didn't pay too much attention to it but enjoyed it nonetheless and having to watch it um, from start to finish here and really take note of it I found it really compelling. I thought it was really good. I think everything what we said throughout um, probably still stands. I think the, the choreographer, I think, is excellent. I think the pacing's terrific. There's absolutely no fat on this whatsoever. The bloated cameos of each character feel unique. They feel personable, um, but they also feel detached as well. There's always that really sort of subdued feeling that we're in this story and we can't escape it. I think Carano, as, as time has progressed, I think she's very accomplished here. I'm always sort of disappointed that, they ha- like Hillary just mentioned about having to sort of redub that voice feels very strange to me. I-, I would love to know a definitive answer on that, although I think it's just people thinking that she she wasn't compelling enough. And she got slaughtered in, in the um, first wave of critics here, said that she has the physicality but no charisma. But, I mean, she's meant to be, like, a quite serious, sophisticated spy. Um, mm-hmm. I-, I wouldn't don't think she'd be cracking, like, one-liners. And it's not a James Bond thing. I mean... We don't necessarily accuse Jason Bourne for being a dry character, do we? But there, there we go. Back to my, my opening gambit about uh, uh, the, the balance of, of, of gender in film. It's very interesting. Um, there Especially are... the, the comparison to drive that you made, where it's yeah. like Ryan Gosling's character doesn't do anything. Like he's almost like a, a charismatic black hole, intentionally so. Yes, in a weird void. Yeah. And, yeah. People are, and people are fine with that. 
But he, she comes in and she actually brings more to it. And they're like, no. Yeah. People see him as a character trait to, to want to sort of have a personality based off, which I think is absolutely frightening. Oh my God. But well, it was, it was interesting because I saw Cobra recently and I guess like Cobra inspired yes, Prime. And yes. I really did not like Cobra either. I was like, oh, I think I wrote my reveal. I bet someone's pasted it like based their entire personality off of Cobra and then ended up finding it was linked to Drive. I know all these people are based their personality on Drive and it's like, this shit needs to stop. You didn't like Cobra? No, no, I didn't like Total Cobra. fucking <laughs> bullshit. I, I watched Cobra not so, I watched Cobra not so long ago. I was, I was surprised how much it was like. The 80s. <laughs> it, has, it, has, it has a terrific iconography. But they shit the bed with that beautiful. third act. So they've got no idea where the fuck that film's going. All those sure, bikers like, have like three hit Do you want some fries with that ketchup or whatever? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but but I, I would give this ultimately a, a strong... George Picos models. Four just, star. Mm, yeah. Anyway. I would give this a strong four star. I think it's I think it's compelling work. I do think it's slightly convoluted with, with the narrative. But I think we eventually get there. And again, it, it never sort of um, breaks the trust with its audience. There's some interesting camera work. Uh, some tonal differences there's a little bit of humor here as well but it's it's not nothing that like takes you away from the experience i've really enjoyed going back into this to discuss it a lot more uh to touch on some very difficult uh details as well i think it's, it's, it's sort of elevated the material but also highlighted certain things that I, f- I find really interesting to sort of absorb with this feature so i give it a strong four um i am How far away cool. where you're from three and a half just oh no i i no, I wouldn't give this a three and a half. I, don't, I think it's a strong oh, four. That's a good answer. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this is. <laughs> this is like it's not nowhere near like where I would put insomnia. I put like sixty-eight insomnia. I think this is like a good 73, 74. Did you hear the ambulance pull up? Why? Why would you <laughs> just bring back memories? Like I've got Vietnam flashbacks after that podcast. <laughs> Wait, which one? I'm sorry. Insomnia. insomnia. I didn't like oh, insomnia. insomnia. I didn't. That's okay. It's it's not for everyone. Do you know, Hillary? What going back to watch that film? The one th- there's, there's multiple things I enjoyed about it amongst many. But watch when you watch that, there's an absolute a mass amount of callbacks to what he would do in his other work, especially in like The Dark Knight, The Prestige, and especially in Inception. Uh, that was mm-hmm. a, probably the, the Inception for sure. Yeah, that's like the, the highly compelling thing I found about the film. Otherwise. I was like, oh, this is just like a mandated studio system. I was like, okay. I d- it's gotten worse for you over the week, has it? <laughs> no, no. I, th- I think I'm still I'm still in the exact same place where I was. Okay. And we finished up four and a half hour <laughs> discourse, and we couldn't get oh, over wow. we couldn't get over the nihilism of the the, uh, the original, and we had to kept on. I just think the film bottoms out at the end. The the uh, again, this is a conversation of the day, but I thought the ending of the the remake. Bottoms Tune out. in to that episode, yeah. episode one hundred and twenty. It's a it's very compelling. That's what yeah. I'm gonna say. But I would say strong four, and I and I and I think this film deserved a better home. And I think it's just a shame that with certain political things that may people may and may not have said regarding certain actors and actresses in this film, this has not got a second wind of sorts because. There was a there's a time where a, a mammoth amount of success was coming with the Mandalorian, but this could have been revisited. And because of certain mm-hmm. things, I think this has been pushed down a bit more. So it's going to be a shame if this ever gets a a second win. I would hope that one day people would see it through um, a, a more inviting lens that we have, and I think it'd be it'd be a, a, an experience worth watching again. Well said, thank you, Jacob. 
It's a lean and like I, I gave it four stars when I watched it last Sunday and then I watched it again. I think it's like a four and a half, I want to say, because I Oof. think there are certain things I can't, I can't, I, 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 I will come back with a vengeance in a few seconds in my bottoms. <laughs> but overall, I really love this. I can put it on any day and I feel like the it's a lean and mean sort of just bare bones steak and you don't do stuff with a steak. Salt, pepper, hot pan. That's all you need. Sear both both sides. Serve it to someone. If they if they don't like it, just punch them in the face and throw them out, throw them out of the restaurant. It's just it's a state house. Your Jesus, money's you no expect? good here. <laughs> yeah. What the? F- yeah. Ooh, I'd like no. Yeah. It's a steak. You're Go out. No. Yeah. It's a simple movie. Very simple. I like how it's bro- broken down. It's a very soft. It's an I don't know. Clo- it's almost like an anti spy movie. I, I really love it that way. But it's mean. And realistic when it needs to be elevated when in in some other places maybe sometimes too over, too too elevated we're gonna get to it in a mm-hmm. second but overall I really enjoy it Gina Carano is like the sort of the female Arnold Schwarzenegger if she was born in the in the right era she would have had a career in the nineties I am telling you <laughs> uh, like some, this o- is, some other things probably have to happen well just other things would Ivan have to Reitman. happen yeah, yeah. probably. I mean, what hot love? We've mentioned Cynthia Rothrock. Not nothing happened for her, and that mm. sucks. Yeah, it does. It's just, it's just sadness of Hollywood. There's just what I said in the beginning. Just like men watch action films, and for some reason, they're just intimidated by powerful women. I don't understand why. I mean, yeah. So. I don't know what it is, but the, the fact that the movie didn't get its second home, and I have nothing to do with, I don't think it has not anything to do with whatever someone ever said or tweeted. I don't care. <laughs> it's the fact that it has to do with the blockbuster going bust in 2010, because this is a home video gem. This is a movie you pick up from a shelf, and then and then this this gets this of the second run, the, the second wave is with all the 45-year-old dads watching this and then and having a beer with it oh, that's God. kind of where it was supposed to be do you think but this is when yeah mm. this is this the is the right a, kind of dads dads who are not threatened by women who can kick ass you know yeah. <laughs> well no just this is this is for yeah like remember 45 year old dads don't go to cinemas by 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 by, by sort of like in terms of like demographics of people who go to cinemas this is not the type of people who goes to cinemas because they're busy working Okay, mm-hmm. so what, who goes to cinemas by and large? The demographics that they want to target is the seventeen to twenty fives, and the seventeen to twenty fives. These are young men who still have to assert their their masculinity in some way, so they are threatened by women. So, meanwhile, the forty five er goes like, you know what? I I wouldn't mind if she did it to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, yeah, depends on what you're talking about. <laughs> have, have you seen Kimmy you, yet? You, you read into this whatever you want. No, but, you know, no, I haven't this, seen but, you know, yet. But you, but you kind of get the idea. That it's just like if some, someone's in their like mid forties, they will just see this and they'll see like this. This woman's a badass. What do you want? Yeah, it depends you, on the forty-five year olds. It really, really does. Yeah, have you seen Kimmy like yet? Be, yeah. Hmm? Have you seen Kimmy yet? No, not yet. I think it'd be interesting for you to watch that after you've seen this because. I think wait, wait until January. Yeah, I, I, th- I think <laughs> no. I, yeah, I think Soderbergh sort of goes back to and makes something very akin to this. But I think you said mm. this film is meant for forty-five-year-olds. I think this film is meant for people who are film students who want to uh, subvert expectations of a spy film. I think he purposely I mean, knows yeah, this is for I mean, a generation that's probably not there. Yeah, yet. 
two things can be true at the same time because yeah. Soderbergh makes all of his movies for film students who want to see what of he course, can do at the form, right? Yeah. And at the same time, this I, is a movie that you can, like, if it was a cable movie, a dad would watch it. I, like I, as a, a nearly 39-year-old man. He said it, we've got, we like, got this him. Is this, is, this, is, this is great. Like, what do you people want? Like, people didn't get it. People were stupid and didn't get it. Total fucking bullshit. Total you know? fucking <laughs> it's, bullshit. It's a great movie, well, four and a half out of five. He's I'm per- shut per- up you purposely Random. timed that, didn't you, with your little, little monologue, didn't you? He's been practicing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God>. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right i won't add too much to the mix is this an uncut gem <coughs> absolutely mm-hmm. this is five stars of fun but wow. there's probably a few little yeah like i like like yeah i can say i can watch this anytime any place and it's just fun throughout but there's a couple issues so it's not quite a five-star film probably Randy's also 39 <laughs> yeah plus 10 but at any rate you don't look a day uh, over, yeah. you don't look a day over 40 Rando. <laughs> Don't let him say God anymore. love you. God love you, man. Um, I'll say this too. I find this as part of this Soderbergh project. It's interesting to see this film come right after the uh, conclusion of the section I'm eight years. Come. So, come. sorry. I only get it. Uh, so now he's not tethered to producing all these things and he doesn't have his thumbs in the all of Clooney's projects. And now I think he's focusing just on directing and, and telling his stories and, do, you know, doing these films that are interesting to him. Um, and he's maybe getting away from the form a little bit and just going back to some of the fun and the editing that he, he had back in the limey and, and those days out of sight. So I find this interesting. And it's also interesting, too, that I think the only real friction he had with other folks came up right after section eight ended so he's maybe not quite the power player and also hollywood is shifting too because at this point in 2010 2011 it's about the mcus and it's about the pixars and and now i think a guy an auteur like soderbergh is on a shorter leash and i think that we will see maybe not so much with magic mike um well maybe with magic mike as well we will see that he gets smaller budgets as a result of this um at any rate this here cooks it is fun and i'll leave it at that all right let's go to our tops hillary do you want to lead us off for the top threes top three okay so the top three um okay for my third it's kind of a tie because they both have to do with kills i guess but um when she shows up behind antonio banderas and he says shit that was my number three although i was talking about the fastbender fight the sound the bullet makes when it goes through the pillow is I don't know. It makes me laugh every time. <laughs> We're just like, it's like, <laughs> and he's dead. Um, and then number two, I think that opening scene in the diner is just, I think that's what sticks out of my mind because it's the first thing I saw and it's just a really well choreographed fight. And then number one, I it's probably not the best moment of the film, but it's the part I remember the most. And it, it did like, um, once again, maybe this is inappropriate, but it did make me laugh is when Ewan McGregor's on the beach with the phone and you see her running from behind and he doesn't see her i don't know maybe it's because i watched monty python the holy grail a lot and there's just something really funny about john cleese running from a distance before he kills everybody maybe you just conquered that but it's just like he doesn't know he's about to die and she just like is running right toward him um, why is so this not a meme right it, sh- it it could have been if more people had seen it and i don't know if more people will see it now but 
I will point out that it was interesting looking at reviews or comments and stuff like that about the film and people actually don't mention Corano very much. They don't say very, or they're like, Ooh. I hate this movie because Corano's in it, which happens with some movies. Like if you go to like reviews of American Beauty, it was like, this is crap. This is crap. Kevin Spacey's a pedophile. So this movie's garbage. You know, yeah, they come so... like completely dismissing a film because of someone in it. That hasn't happened. With is this this is some letterbox, is it by any chance? It's called Purity Spirals. <laughs> It's yeah. just all virtual signaling. It's like, oh, I need. Look at me, how I, how how pure I am, because I <laughs> I true. hate American Beauty, and with and Corona, I totally like, erased all my five star reviews of it from Letterboxd. We haven't. Oh, um, look at me. I'm we so haven't talked about like bullshit. why she's been in trouble, but I think in the grand scheme of things, you can not like or agree with some of the things she said, but it's not on the same level as like someone going like it's not on the same level as like Harvey Weinstein or people who have like yeah. that kind of abusive yeah. behavior. So. Um, it does say something that people aren't completely dismissing this film or going on there to log it just to say shitty things about her. So yeah, oh, look at me. It's yeah. like the thoughts of same people who are just like thoughts and prayers. I'm just like it's not about you. Just shut up. Yeah. I, also, I'll, those are wishes. They don't necessarily come true. I also think just for clarification as well, if anyone's listening and like maybe sort of on the right wing for things, like why haven't you brought it up? I think, like, not to speak for you, Jacob, but I, I think it becomes a detriment to what we're talking about. We're talking about the era that this happened in. I think very rarely mm-hmm. we, do, we talk about the, the, the culture if it's not involved around the actual film itself. So No, no, no. This yeah. is exactly to avoid this because yeah. it's so easy to derail this. And all of a sudden, like, you just, like, blink and we're talking about other things. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm not even going to ma- name drop because they're going to go, like, oh, yeah, let's let's talk about this now. And then all of a sudden, we're in like a five hour podcast. Yeah. About, and then we, 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 we forgot about We've been through those. We've done all together yeah. because we're just like in the 70s. <laughs> we've, again. Yeah, we've done those yeah. things. <laughs> we've, I know. This is a specific. <laughs> just like, yeah. This is not time and place. It's no. just like, just be, be, be kind of adults about it. People maybe think, thinking, like, well, you talk about Fastbender, but that is a part of the film because these allegations and things, the pattern of behavior happened before yeah i, I agree with that through it. so it if anyone was going to comment and yeah. about it it's just like yeah this actually is part of the film it's not morano might not have had like some of these people get radicalized i mean to a certain degree like i worry that i'm becoming radicalized as time comes on and she's been radicalized Blink twice if you need help she's just gone the <laughs> other way and it's who yeah. knows like maybe people can come back from that maybe they can't but um it's not yeah it's definitely not relevant to who, what she was doing in 2011 Look, people are allowed to make stupid decisions. It just so I happens do it that every we, day. <laughs> yeah, it just so happens. And, you know, like and unfortunately, just, you're not a public figure. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. what it boils down to. You can yes. be a private person. You make stupid decisions, and it just so happens that everything we do is now just like uh, there's a permanent record of everything. Mm. Every stupid thing you say is just out no, there. I need to yeah, then you just don't. You tonight. just don't do that. You don't have yeah. to share all your thoughts and opinions online. I think that's where people get. I, I, no, I need to sleep tonight, This is like genuine nightmare stuff for me. So, so yeah. So anyway, of sharing, talks, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's. Okay. See, yes. This is why. No, this yeah, is exactly why I was just like, yeah, let's just. No, no, it's fine. It's just genuinely terrifying, isn't it? Um. Oh, do you want me to do my bottom three? Is it top three? You want me to do? Oh, it's top three. I think we're still in the top. Um, top three. I think the the bottom I would have is that I think that the dynamic between Bill Paxton and um and Gina Carano, it's not like a hugely influential part of the film. But it's so homely, and they don't even—it's like effortlessly produced. You can understand, like when she's on the when she's on the phone, he's like, yeah, "I'm in deep trouble here. Um, something might have got wrong." And he's like, "Just stay safe." And I, I, 
and he's like, uh, what's your six? It's just so effortlessly done, but you know they're dynamic and you know there's a passion there and a, and a love and affection for each other. I was, I was not expecting to be like him because I, I, when I first watched this, I was, I was deeply concerned they were going to knock him off. I really did in that, in that when they go to his house because I think that's what the convention would be, not knowing she was there. Use him as collateral. But they never do that. And I was like, oh, wow, because you can't kill off Bill Paxton not by a, an alien out of this world. So I was, I really enjoyed that. Part. So that's my, 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 my bottom of the top three. Um, the middle one, um, I'd say probably um, the fact that the, the fast bender and her fight is so ruthlessly sort of crafted. It's uncomfortable to watch, but I think it works in the sequence. Um, it's 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 horrifically vicious as well, and you can you can feel the atmosphere um, in the sequence itself. Uh, but my top my top one would probably be, I'd say. Well, I mean, it's going to be. I've not even debated. It's the opening gambit with the, in the diner. So I think for a, for a short film that would be like outstanding to watch, just not knowing what's going on. Like um, what Hillary said in one of her comments about. The fact that it, it's crafted is almost like a domestic issue where it's just it's we don't know what's going on on real we don't have any idea of, of what the narrative is and it just slowly just bursts into something and um, us like the audience the audience and the character behind them have no idea what's going on but they do their best to sort of get involved you can feel that atmosphere that tension it's sort of splendidly done so that would be my top it's just such an, a perfect opening gambit and people talk about the pulp fiction opening to be like so immersive and like sets the tone but this i think this is like oof. two things can be tried once well you know we don't we don't let's you know <laughs> but no but you know i i you're I, gonna if you can come in here and slag off Paul <laughs> Fishing, i'm gonna drive that and drive up to 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 halifax and kick your ass i'll be wait, i'll be waiting for that door my that's friend. a derailing type of comment Jakob, yeah. go top like, three know, just like <laughs> immediately just see red this is not good. No, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not attacking that film. I'll just make make the example of a, a really good opening scene. I think this is comparative in, in, a, in a different dynamic, but in, in the, the same result of how it just engulfs us in the in the in the film as well. The tone, everything's perfect when it starts. Awesome, Jakob, go for it. All right, special mention for the Captain America shield throw. Just you have to. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really like the just the little new ones. Okay, I've got. Let's just say number three, it's a tie. Let's just because I didn't know what I, I couldn't decide, so it's it's a tie between the specifically the front kick where Fassbender flies through the door. Uh, <laughs> yes, what a what a kick! And the, and when she's um, hiding in the in Dublin from these two guard officers, and she uh, nearly strangles one to death with a, with his own rifle. Uh, yeah, that's just a great moment. Uh, so that's one. Um, in the opening fight with Channing Tatum, you kind of have to mention this because like the the music's not there. Like there is just like huffing and puffing, and they're all just like. But the the moment where shit gets real is when the the uh, gun is fired. Yes. Like right next to her head. Oh my god! I know God, it's yeah. all fake, right? But it's just like it kind of just brings you down to a level of just like okay. He, I think Channing Tatum means business here. Yes. Like, I don't know. What, this one is, of them's not walking serious. away. You felt you feel the. Uh, no, yeah. and you notice no one intervenes anymore. They know this is not a domestic. Yeah, because there's a gun anymore. in there. They're, they're like, like, oh shit! Yeah. Everyone just kind of ducks down. Yeah, but the best, and I have to make a point of it. <laughs> this is the best moment. Okay, well, I, you show me anyone who 
parallel, reverse parallel parks a car in one go, just flawlessly, and, and I'll just be amazed, right? You show me anyone driving backwards with competence, <laughs> I'm amazed. And for some reason, when I see a woman do it, I'm, I'm aroused. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why. Jeez. It's aroused. It's a very specific thing. Okay. It's just, she drives this, stuff, this car so competent, and she drives back, and she just reverses at full speed. Like, you can see, like, she, she's doing this, the reversing, and she's just driving this car so competent, and I'm just sitting there like this, sort of like this dad going like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> like, and Soderbergh puts you in the back seat to enjoy it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just this is one of like one of my biggest selling points on like on like licorice pizza last year was like when I saw uh, I can't remember her, her name now. Just like there's like a five minute sequence where this woman is just reversing a truck down a hill. I'm not. I'm like, I'm watching this in the cinema with a boner. I'm like, this is amazing. There's a lot going on there, isn't there? I think <laughs> <laughs> there are worse things to be aroused by. Yes. So yes, I'm I think that's I'm just, that's the positive we'll take so, away. I'm sure. For some reason, <laughs> that's the takeaway. Like yeah. uh, for so, for some reason, I you know like when I see like I don't know like uh, I don't know. In at a school, like some 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 lady will just park up her Range Rover Ooh, and just like immediately just like slides it in reverse park, and I'm just like, "Do you want to grow a coffee later or what?" You got to be careful though, because there's now like these cars that can be programmed to do that. So yeah. no, but you can cool. see that, especially when. Oh, what really gets me is the one hand on. Like, I really Jeez. love this. Like, I drive this kind of myself like this, like one hand on the wheel, just like this, yeah, and, yeah. and then yeah. the other hand on the stick. And I'm just like this woman's in control. Like I'm loving this. Like this, this, this idea of just like <laughs> there's I'm, some. I'm in sort of. Oh my god. There's some deep down thing there's there, some, there's isn't there? There's a BDSM vibe yeah, going yeah, on. I don't know where that, like, uh, that that stems from. But I'm just like this. Sort of the, this yeah. this female competence is arousing. I'm loving this. This is amazing. This is like this is. Mm-hmm, yeah. Have you told your wife thing. that? No, she doesn't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How does she reverse a car? She doesn't drive, which is which is a shame. I, I've been trying to get her to to yeah, but you know, you can't have everything. You know. All right. Was that is there? Was that your number two? No, that was his number. That was his number one. I don't think that. I don't think that could have been. I don't think that could have been a number two. It felt like a climax, but okay, I just lost count. Okay. Oh, here we go. Don't push him, Randy. You were doing so well. <laughs> don't push it all right uh for me i have a, an honorable <coughs> mention a shout out for the use of the wall in the hall so the way Karano leverages herself with this wall in this hallway she jumps on it and pushes off which leads to the most devastating punch and then um she also uses it to sort of kick herself back and knock the guy into the fantastic uh fantastic choreography um i love the music in and the sound design in during the Barcelona job, just the slow-mo and the muffled gunshots, like it is all style and I'm all there for that. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, my number two, we all mentioned it at the, the Channing Tatum and Gina Carano diner scene at the beginning. It's just really shocking and it sort of upends the expectations as soon as the gun comes out and you think it's this, you know, weird relationship. Um, but it's much more than it really is. It's fantastic. And then the fight is fantastic. And then number one is the, the fast bender attack. And it's just, it's shocking. It's intense. It's, it is a great fight. Um, and what I would add to this, and I don't think we've really talked about it. I think that there's this undercurrent of, uh, 
sort of what women have to go through in the workplace because here every man is I'm not sure Karana. women have to go through this much in the workplace no but this is emblematic of it <laughs> just <laughs> to a point I mean I've, I've worked with plenty and is, I've never seen anything like this I, I think it, I think what Randy's trying to say is that this particular you know part of the workplace like especially this anything with military I've known women who are in the military and like what they go through I would not I it's like a hard no I don't yeah want to go I've, I've, I've heard stories as well where it's 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 I mean there's multiple documentaries yeah. about and if you're gay on top of being a woman holy shit that's all but I can say it's in addition to that I I would say that um what Karana faces here so the first the first shot fired the first punch in the diner scene it's like a sucker sucker punch throwing coffee in her face and fastbender what's he do he undermines her by hitting her from behind and then behind the scenes you know mcgregor's the wizard of oz he's screwing her over and throwing her under the bus for for money and i just i just think that it's sort of a fascinating take we didn't really touch on it but it's it you know fast the fastbender attack like to me is like that's just the ultimate like he's out to to kill this woman and uh anyway then she turns she turns the tide an amazing fight okay <coughs> bottoms <laughs> hillary uh bottoms okay so okay number three the barn sequence the fact that they go to a fancy dance party and there's a barn nearby and that's where they put the body and that they there, there's certain things in this film that are like that are really smart and then there's things that are really really dumb like she goes mm-hmm. to the barn seat, the, the barn sequence where she's going around and she finds the guy and then he's holding her brute in his hand, which is like the most, anybody who would kill anybody in this particular industry or whatever, like, I don't know. The setup just seemed, um, well, it's, it's for the yeah. po- actual police to find out so that they could match with CCTV. It makes sense to me. Yeah, it, it, stupid, it does, right? but it's just, um, not necessarily like what they did, but it's just like, if she's like a top assassin, and, and all that sort of stuff like yeah never mind okay. I agree. She, wasn't supposed to, she wasn't supposed to find the body i don't think no but it's yeah, just the, the way it's planned it's just it speaks to how dumb the guys are a little bit where it's just like oh we'll frame her by having like the the brooch in the guy's hand because he took it off of while she was killing him even though i don't the bo- it, it's, and the body's in the alley in yeah. ireland right so uh, yeah. it's just really strange anyway so that's that that's the third one um Two, as weird as it was, like we'd mentioned the deer earlier, like the fact that they just hit the deer out of nowhere, for some reason I was like, why did that even have to happen? After a comment, you're a wonderful driver. Well, she hit, she hit the tree. Like hitting the tree was enough, but for some reason they had to put a deer in there. I was like, oh, this, so this deer was like minding its own business because it's not even on the road or anything. And it just got hit by a car and it's, it, I don't know, I just, it's, it sucked. Um, and then <laughs> my top, my top bot of the bottom three there's just a few things that made me laugh where i just thought okay like this movie's not completely happening in reality <laughs> and it's kind of two little details one is when she tracks michael fassbender's phone and it does the gps reading and it shows the location within the building where it is and like i don't know any computer program that looks like that um that's that sophisticated it just kind of made me laugh and then um the Barcelona sequence where they had the poster that said bad guy number one. That gets me every time. I was just like, <laughs> you. so you don't know his name? You just wrote bad guy number one? Like, you watch a lot of action movies or something? That was my, my top <laughs> of the bottom three. I was just like, bad guy number one. Why can't you just choose something else like um, 
Greg. (laughs) Or just like target number one or something or yeah, something that that seems more military rather than something that like a 12 year old would put on a post-it note um, while they're playing, you know, a spy (laughs) game or something like that in the backyard. Uh, Awesome. Okay. Jack. So my, 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 my bottom three is going to be quite obvious. I think, I, I think the opening seat, well, not the opening seat, but the, the actual first act when it gets into gear when we're in Europe. So I just, I just, I can understand the idea, the aesthetic that he's trying to go for there. I just find it highly convoluted on a visual level, and I think it could be so much more uh, mainstreamed and streamlined, should I say? Um, that these other two, two are sort of more, more silly, but I, I do have the sort of like a seriousness about them. The second one is that when when she arrives to the hotel and she she runs up the stairs, she throws down like. She like she like waddles up when she gets there, like she, like it's really really strange, and she just throws down anything down the stairs, but nothing makes it so it's an impact of that like, they'll never get past them, and it felt really. It's not, it's not like oh, do you think the police officers were always like, look, she threw down some chairs. We have to find another way. No, it's to slow them down. No, but it's like it's like it's so, just silly because it's n- none of it was is gonna slow them down. How she does it. It just feels it like it does, like a few seconds it, is what it she does. Needs, it, oh, does it fuck you know for while you're just arguing for a second right now? I don't think it does no. at all. I really, I, honestly, also as well, it feels like um, slapstick of how she runs up those stairs and how she runs across. It's only until when she gets up to the actual building with the umbrella. She right? runs like Steven Seagal. Yeah, she, yeah, it, she, but it, it, it doesn't look natural at all. Yeah. It just feels like, oh, like, like a penguin's running up there. It feels dead weird up no, there. She runs all right. Like she runs okay. No, it, it just, just it feels know. how it's shot. It just feels clunky and awkward, and the whole sequence feels awkward until she gets to the top of the roof, when then she puts the umbrella and like okay. But how she throws stuff down, watch it again. It's like it's just silly. It feels silly. It feels clunky. And um, the 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 first one, my first band. This is like the big issue, and it sounds like it's silly, but I'll get into it. The the, the fact that this is the same beach that's in the, the beginning of Greece. To me, feels like such a severe um, oversight on Soderbergh's part. I, I just can't help but think it's intentional, and I, and it it sure as shit feels like it's a reshoot as well. So it feels like it was it was reshot and filmed as low as it could be in California, which I think this is it's either San Diego where it's shot or stuff like that. It just like it just it just uh, being a cinephile as well. It just feels so noticeable. Noticeable, and again, I I talked about that. You you don't want the actual sequence itself to take away from what we're actually watching i was like why are they shooting this on greece the greece the the beach it just felt so strange to me it was just such like a, a weirdly not thought about overshot or overthought that it felt like it was so over it was covert it just looked stupid to me it looked just silly and it could have been so much more grizzly if it was at like a national park or it was it was just somewhere with an actual grizzly. No, yeah, well, maybe cocaine bear, you know. But um, it, it just felt like just shoot it on there to have that dynamic. It works on a beach, but to to have it and the same one that's sort of such a steamed iconography, such as Greece on a cinema palette, felt really really odd to me, really off putting as well. Not that it's a major issue, but it, for me, it just feels like such a silly oversight. All right, Jakob. Okay, I've got. And dishonorable mention to Gina Carano's bandana. She doesn't look good in a bandana. Take it off. Just forget it. I can't know. She just puts on a bandana. Like she's just like, I'm gonna clean the house now. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, that she's gonna paint. <laughs> she's gonna paint the, <laughs> the room. Like, I never painted happening? that wall. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's a. Um, so yeah, so that's a dishonorable mention. It's not really a problem. It's just one of those things. I'm like, okay. Uh, 
the uh, guy who dies uh, being sort of uh, shafted by by the sort of the shutter. I'm like, this is like this makes scream the you know when <laughs> Rose McGowan death look plausible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, God. Uh, it's not good. I've got the um, and <clears throat> I've got a few more. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna tie it off with two two <laughs> things because if one I'm really I'm really pissy about so it's a it's a tie between this is the soft tonal mismatches I was talking about so at some point in the past now because it's some for all I care you know it's it was yesterday um, is um, like when they just leave the reality for half a second just to have a playful joke and then they, they it doesn't really work like the deer why <laughs> and then another one so the deer is one <laughs> and the one when Ewan McGregor runs out of Bill, Bill Paxton house and then Gina Carano is just standing there with this sort of full camo and she says you'd better run you'd better run I'm like why like this is uh, she should have gone like full on like turn stamp and just tell him I'm fucking coming you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you know she's just You'd better run. I'm like, this doesn't belong. Like, this is like too genre playful. No, it doesn't belong. And the worst is this: just when you, you and McGregor as a villain, just in general, is just such a cop out. Like, he doesn't really. I mean, I know he's supposed to be the sort of the, the guy who just gives out orders, and he's this weakling Peter Fonda standing from the limey because he's just like breaks his leg and this guy, eh, you know, <laughs> and then just he doesn't even. She doesn't see him as an equal because she has to shoot Fassbender in the face just in case he gets up because when he when he does he's gonna ruin her day again, right? So she doesn't even have to. It's just yeah, you go and drown because the tide's coming and fuck off. But then in the Bill Paxton house, he kills Channing Tatum and Bill Paxton's watching. He's a witness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, like from from a start, story standpoint, if we're in this sort of the realistic sort of side of things in here like this is an anti-spy movie where these things these things happen as though they were f- happening for reals you and mcgregor should have put a bullet in in bill paxton and blamed it on Gina carano or whoever and like and just i don't know but he's a loose end and he's a witness who's seen a guy who's allegedly a, a highly ranking officer in some kind of company or i don't know and then he's now has a witness to uh, to him murdering his his employee Not i, I a will good say look. like <laughs> yeah. um that's something i thought about too and there's a he turns the gun and he points it at paxton and you can tell for a few seconds he's thinking about it mm-hmm. he's yeah, thinking he about have. it he and, and, like, and realistically he could have but this is the reason why i think he didn't is he's like i've already pissed her off so much if i kill her dad because like he killed tatum he didn't know they had a relationship he didn't know there were any emotional stakes or connections between the two of them that would mean anything but I think that, so you see him for like maybe a few seconds where he's like, I'm going to shoot Paxton. And he's like, wait, I'm a coward. Bye. And then he runs off. I'm just so bad. I mean, he, he could have just shoot him. And then she's still going to come after him and kill him. Yeah. He's like, well, he's a coward. At the end of the day, it's all about self-preservation. And I can kind of get like, what can I get away with? I feel like with him, that's where it always comes from. Not to say he's like a deep character yeah. or anything like that. But it's always like, how can I save my own skin? Because I think if he had killed her daughter, she wouldn't have been on the balcony being like, you better run. She probably would have been running after him. Yeah. And it would have ended the movie a lot earlier. I agree with you. I, I think it's a, it's mm-hmm. an idea where he actually gets the only part of common sense where he's like, 
if I kill him, I'm going to have a fit worse than death. And I think he knows that. Yeah, she that. wouldn't have let him drown, yeah. that's for sure. Oh, no. my God. I think she should have, well, like, intermittently let him drown and for about a couple of hours as well. He's supposed to be a professional. He's, he no, should I, have known. I, no, I agree. He because should have known better. I, 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 Kill Bill Paxton. I said as just, well, Jakob, I, I was surprised that they didn't do that in the film as well, and I think that's probably a reshoot as well. It feels strange not to have done that. Good point. So that's mine. For a, that's, for a that's film mine. about loose ends, there's a couple. All right. <laughs> for me, um, <laughs> the deer, yeah, the... The deer doesn't bother me, but the deer doesn't do anything. It's sort of because pointless. it dies. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> it's sort of meaningless. Uh, yeah, so there's that. Um, the two cops in the car with Carano, they're sort of stiff, to be honest. And listen, Wonder oh, Woman, stiff, you yeah. need to sit back. Uh, you know, Wonder Woman. That's what they call her. God, thank yeah, you yeah, for remembering. Okay, yeah, yeah, there's something kind of derogatory that they said. Yeah, so she anyways. speaks in their, in their lingo. It's like follow your protocol, you know. Watch your six. I don't know, ten four. I'm on a ten twenty four or whatever. It's just like okay. Well, yeah, she tells them, you know, follow your protocols and everything. But this is what you should watch for, and you know, like so she clearly knows the field and the and the lingo. But there, now she sit back. She so, clearly anyway. doesn't know that if she tells them what to do, she, they're not going to listen because they're just these macho assholes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. So anyway, there's there's that moment. Those those guys. And I guess my number one, because honestly, I, I really like this film. Hard to find anything. But Matthew Kosovitz, Kosovitz, yeah. he, he doesn't have much of a presence. He's sort of a weird, he has a weird, awkward presence to me that I just didn't really groove on. Like, I know it's, he's not a throwaway character at all, but, you know, he's, he's just there to serve a quick purpose. And he sort of had a weird, he had a weird air about him. So just, anyway. So, those are mine. We have reached the end of our discussion on Haywire. Oh, the sound bite wasn't ready. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Uh, Haywire Sorry. is streaming on Netflix and Super Channel in Canada. In the US, it's streaming on Stars and DirecTV. In UK and Ireland, it's streaming on Sky. And I think a lot of. A lot of and now uh, TV, yep. Mm. Okay, yep. And a lot of rest of Europe, it's not streaming easily anywhere. Like Italy, Portugal, it's not streaming. It's uh, it's streaming in France on Prime. But anyway, it's out there. It's available. You can get it on uh, physical media as well. There are DVDs and Blu-rays that are easy to find. Haywire the band have reunited for this summer. If anyone cares at all, they will be at Rock and the Rock in Little Current, Ontario, on August 11th, and Maple Ridge Rocks that concert in Maple Ridge, BC, on August 13th. Just saying. So if I'm if I'm in Canada, I'm gonna come. <laughs> oh God, no! <laughs> uh, I think that's the Jack most. Work. I think that's the most appalling sound that he's. At. Just do it. Just, uh. Uh, it's, an, it's an irregular rotation. Yeah. Did you hear the ambulance call? <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find me on um, on Twitter and Letterboxd with the username at JackLukeSharp. Brilliant. Hillary, where can our listeners track you down and your stuff? Uh, easiest way would probably be through Letterboxd. You can find me at laudanum at 33. If you get there, you'll see a cap uh, a campsite link, which is you know basically just like a link tree, and you click on that, it'll lead you to the your, my blog and everything else, which is called the Holy Shrine. It's on WordPress. It's been going for uh, like since like 2011, so like 12 years now. So there's plenty of stuff to wade through. 
12 years a blogger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Jakob? Uh, you can find me at Talk About Film on Twitter, Jakob Flash on Letterboxd and on Threads. Oh, 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 I see. I know. That shocks me. And uh, yeah, that's me. That's me. Find me there. Brilliant. You can find me on Twitter at Randy Burroughs. You can find me on Letterboxd at Brad7. You can find me on clapperltd.co.uk. And check out our website, everyone, www.uncutgemspodcast.com. You will find all of our stuff there. So check out our Patreon as well for our other Soderbergh discussions, our deep cuts on the main show and our shallow cuts on Patreon. Uh, Watch for our August Soderbergh shallow cut coming up where we will reveal Magic Mike. (laughs) And next week, meet us. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, meet us back here next week as we begin our porn days of summer. We'll be talking about Paul Schrader's 1979 film, Hardcore, with George C. Scott. Have a great week.